Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. I know you feel bad about the deer, but it's not your fault. Things die. That's part of life. It's bad to kill, but it's not bad to die. You die? Well, yes, someday. I die? I don't know. You're made of metal, but you have feelings, and you think about things, and that means you have a podcast. And podcasts don't die. Never. They never die. Podcasts never die, baby. (laughs) They just start new miniseries. Boom! (laughs) It's landed on our planet like a meteor. What is this? Oh, is this, is it a space oh, rock? clearing. Oh, what is this? No, it's a new miniseries! <laughs> I appreciate the energy you brought to the studio today. Mm-hmm. Hello, everybody. My name's Griffin Newman. I'm David Sims. We are Hashtag The Two Friends, a competitive advantage. No other podcast has it going for it. And today we're going to talk about a movie that has, has two friends in it. Uh, yeah. And they'd true. almost be stepping in our territory, but thankfully they have kept... Their friendship to one medium, and that is the silver screen. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's, that's what happened. Yes. <laughs> it's a podcast called Blank Check. Oh, I see. So, like, if we did a movie, we would not have our friend competitive advantage, you're Are saying. You kidding me? There have been tons of fucking friends in movies. You're right. That's why we got to stick to the podcast. Hope and Crosby? Right. True. They were the original two friends. Which one am I? I'm Hope. You're Crosby. Yes, right. Yes. Yeah, what are some other faves? Like uh, Abbott and Costello? Uh, sure. Which one am I? Uh, Which one are you? Uh, I'm Costello, right? Yeah, I think so. Like Laurel and Hardy, I'm... The question is always which one is more annoyed and you're that one. Yeah, no, right. That's what I'm trying... Like, I do feel like there is a common dynamic. What's another... Come on, give me another uh, hot team. Uh, Heinz and Crystal. Oh, sure. (laughs) I'm Crystal, you're Heinz. Uh, yes, that's true. Yeah. Uh, the, the Marx Brothers, but there's too many of them. Well, but then we could work Ben in. Like, if it's the Marx Brothers... We could work producer Ben in? Yes, exactly. You now give me the opportunity to introduce Ben before we said the name of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> to introduce the Ben Deucer. <clears throat> Purdueer Ben, the Poet Laureate, the Haas, the Tiebreaker, the Peeper, the Fuckmaster. You don't know what you've done. Birthday Benny. You started it, David. Uh-huh. Not Professor Crispy. No! He is... Cheech and Chong, which one of A meat lover, a fart detective. These are all true things. I think I'm with him a Hello Fennel. It's a close personal friend, Dan Lewis. Yes. yes. Graduated to different tells over the course of different research. It's like, hello, Ben, producer, Ben Kenobi. Ben say, Ben Night Shyamalan, say, Ben anything, dot, dot, dot. Ailey Ben's with the dollar sign, <laughs> Warhaus, but over Bane. Robohaus and Ben 19, the filmmaker. I said them out of order. You did. You also are missing one. Which one? Uh, the James L. Brooks one. Oh, fuck. I, I, this is why I said you don't know what you were doing to yourself. Oh, Fuck. Yeah. Okay, we'll get back to this later. Uh-huh. This podcast called Blank Shack. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. This is a great entry episode for new listeners, I think. Love it. Uh, we talk about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their career and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Right. Sometimes they clear, and sometimes they bounce. Baby. Right. And I think that you're Groucho. I'm... Chico and your Harpo? Yes, I think that's right, right? Yes. Yes. Right. Oh, I just realized. I mean, I guess I'm Buzz and you're Woody, but I think Ben is Buzz, you're Woody, I'm Jesse. I'm Woody. You're definitely Woody. There's no question about that. 
I think you're Buzz. I don't think I'm Buzz. No, you're not quite. That's a hard one. No, because Ben's got that buzz like I just landed here. Sure, sure. I, to, to go <laughs> Ben's British, always riding Hot Wheels. To go British, I am Morkum and you're wise. Jesus fucking Christ. <sighs> uh, I'm, of course, Mork. You are Mindy. Ben is our child played by Jonathan Winters. <laughs> All true. I'll take that. <laughs> Jonathan Winters is funny. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm Saunders. You're French. Sure, you're Ginger. I'm Rocky. Okay. From Chicken Run. Uh, I'm Sonny, your share. <laughs> what are some? I I'm feel like Hootie, there's a really the blowfish. No, I'm Hootie. I'm Hootie. Take that back. Um, <laughs> Why are we starting this? <laughs> it's a little late. This is a new mini series. All right. Okay. It's a break right. tomorrow. Yeah. We just spent, uh, I would say, 20 minutes discussing the title of this mini series and we haven't even gotten it out yet. A break tomorrow land. Right. Because. Talk about the films of Brad Bird. That's right. Our first animator we've discussed. That's right. He's done live action too. Yeah. But we're going to discuss four animated movies. Boom. We've, we've never, well, I guess the Clone Wars, but apart from that. Tintin. Sure. Right. But, but right. more so than ever, we're going to be talking tunes, baby. Oh, boy. And I, I, yeah, how, wait, but how do you direct animation? <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean by that? Like, what does he go in the room? He's like, you draw faster. Hey, more green there. Wow, Ben, I think Disney's interested in, uh, <laughs> in bringing you uh, into the, the Magic Kingdom. You really spoke with authority there, Ben. <laughs> hey, that guy, make his arm move a little bit faster or something. This you know? is great is this like? Is yeah. this? Am I like? Is this right? Is this what he does? We'll get into this. Sure, we'll get into this. It's definitely hey, more trees there. It's a different kind of job. Yes. Uh, obviously, there's crossover because many animators have crossed over into live yes. action, much like you know Brad Bird, but he, often not successfully. But but this film, Brad Bird took some different approaches to how animation had been directed. Which film? Oh, the film is called The Iron Giant. Oh. As the movie we're discussing today, we've done everything out of order. Today we're discussing The Iron Giant. what is the name Iron of Giant. the miniseries? The name of the miniseries, of course, I'm sure you all have guessed it, <laughs> is Potatui Ghost Protocast. That is not what it's called. It's called Potatui colon Ghost Protocast. No, you know what the title is. The Podcastables. And like, I, we can't do the bit again, two miniseries in a row where you disagree because The Podcastables was your title. Yeah. My title was uh, The Podcast. Credit casts, right? Which is great. And a little sweaty. Mine is Podmorrow Pod Castland, <laughs> which I liked. <laughs> which I would think everyone liked. I think everyone went liked over well in the room. Tested more of a ten percenter. Well, <laughs> this movie tested through the room. It did, but still bounced. But we're calling it the Podcastables. That is the name of the main series, and this is one of those main series we love it when we get to do this, where we get to sync up with a new film. Uh, that's right. Yes, this miniseries with a with a topical release. That's right. That that was part of the idea. We've talked about doing birds since the practically the beginning of this podcast. And we're always like, should we wait for Incredibles? Should we wait for Incredibles too? Right. It was far off. The movie got pushed up a year. It did. It was first going to happen in nineteen uh, twenty nineteen. Yeah. Yeah. Which rarely happens in animation. Very is rare. a show of confidence that they push up a year, which is also what happened with the original Incredibles. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So excited to see that. We are, of course, recording this miniseries in advance, so it is currently 1935. That's right. Uh, hello. We're on the wireless. But you will hear it straight through, and we'll be watching them in the weeks leading up to right. Incredibles. Even 2. though we're making like references to Den of Thieves. Yes. <laughs> or and, whatever. And they've only just announced the voice cast for Incredibles 2 today. Yes, although I felt like that was all already known. I guess they just made it official. Odenkirk and Kino were known. The rest were not. Well, like Sophia Bush. 
and and a big one, Jonathan Banks replacing Bud Lucky. Who is he? Animation dead? legend. No. I so don't. maybe it's just a more of a part. I don't know. I don't know. We'll get to that. He's also Chuckles the Clown and T.S. Have you heard of it? T.S. Yeah, thankfully, we're not going to be talking Toy Story on this podcast ever. It's not going to come up. I'm going to just spit my orange juice out in your face. <laughs> How dare you? Glad you didn't do that. How dare you? The most existential of the American film trilogies. Um, I would literally, if we did that episode, I would hit record and, and just leave. Just leave. <laughs> For the night, and then come back, and you guys would still be in here just sweating, no, yelling at one, each other. He would be in here. I would oh, be like yeah. dead would, by my own hand. <laughs> also, we'd have to do three of them. Three. Oh, God. It would just be like there'd be like feces on the wall or whatever. Griffin you know? started a new society. <laughs> this sounds great. I don't know why you guys are ragging on me. Oh, boy. This sounds lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, so Brad Bird. Uh-huh. Bit of an interesting story because it takes him a while to make his first film. Uh, th- this film? This film? This film. This film. The Iron Giant? The Iron Giant. Mm-hmm. was one of the guys that kept on coming close to making a feature for a very long period of time. I asked you right before we recorded if you had watched The Giant's Dream, which is a documentary on the Blu-ray for The Iron Giant. If I have, I don't remember it. I have the Blu-ray, though, so I will go watch it. It is fascinating. Mm -hmm. I believe it is directed by Michael Giacchino's son. What's his name? Jason Giacchino or something. I also always get that name. It's not Giacchino, right? I always get it wrong. Well, I mean, that's how I would say it, but is that wrong? I don't know. I feel like I'm always corrected every time I bring him up. Giacchino! Yeah, probably. Okay, whatever. Um, It is a fascinating documentary because it is uh, so honest with the frustration that many people had working with Brad Bird. Um, he seems to be a very demanding man with very particular Set ideas. Skills, skills <laughs> sure. and a nightmare for people like him. Like, he, rigid, right? He's a, yeah. He has rigid ideas of what he wants out of his movie. Uh-huh. Uh, but unfortunately, he's making an animated movie which requires more than one person to make it. Right. And sometimes those two things can come into conflict. And sometimes they bounce baby. <laughs> and, uh, but, but he's not one of these guys who then feels the need to like control his legacy and try not to make at all. it seem. He's pretty upfront about how intense he is. His line, I don't think he has this problem as much in live action filmmaking. I think it's more in the animation world. Like, uh, I, I think it, that has to do with production differences, which maybe that's, we will get into. We will, but I mean, like, I, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, you never heard a peep out of anyone being like, oh, wow, what a tortured shoot. You no, know? but Tom yeah. Cruise is kind of the Brad Bird of actors. True, but hey, they were, they collaborated beautifully. Yes. Uh, so the Brad Bird has this line that I repeat a lot when I'm, like, in, on difficult sets. Okay. And people go, like, how are you holding up? Okay. I always repeat this Brad Bird mantra, which is pain is temporary, film is forever. <laughs> sure which is super aggro right where it, but I get that where it's like look this might be horrible now but if we make a great movie a, a, people can watch it anytime forever and also if you compromise on something oh boy because it was difficult yeah are you then going to like go to every screening of that movie ever and say like hey look it was kind of cold that day we only want to do two takes sure right like you gotta live with that film for the rest of your life yeah and, and it's better to have unless you're George Lucas Right. Yeah. Better to have that thing be as good as it can be. And so as good as it gets. 
You want it to be as good as it gets. As positive as the cast? As Ben as it has it. <laughs> We're going to try things out over the course of this episode. <laughs> We're recording like seven miniseries in advance. And so we don't have time to even field test things with our listeners. Yep. We're sorry, guys, but sorry. it's all for you. Yeah. It is literally all for you. Yeah. Otherwise, you can have fun not having a podcast. <laughs> yeah. This is all for you guys. Um, but but that's like his big sort of adage. So here's here's the Brad Bird like kind of origin story, okay? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love this origin story. I've written about it on theatlantic.com. Right. Grows up, fairly large family. Montana. Uh, goes to see uh, Jungle Book. Sure. Had sure. been a fan of anime movies right, prior right. to that. He was born in 1957. Sure. I think pretty uh, traditional suburban upbringing. Well, in Montana, though. Yes. So, you know, Hot, it's out there. Dry. Sure. Yes. But uh, if he, yeah, he goes to see the Jungle Book, which came out in 67. So my guess is he was about 10 years old. Which is also my first movie I saw in theaters. I'm not saying this was his first movie, but just I want to restate That was that. your first movie? Yeah. Like one of those re-releases? I saw At that re-release. At the quad. At the quad. I was one and a half years old. Oh, so you don't remember that. I remember it vividly. Yeah, full of shit. We've already thought about this on the show. Did we? I yeah. don't remember which episode. Because it came up in the box office game. Uh-huh. And I said that was the first movie I saw. And you said you were a year and a half years old. You wouldn't have remembered that. And then right. I went to see Margaret at the quad with my mother. And she said, you know, this was where I took you to your first movie. Aww. And I said, memory confirmed. Uh, okay. Anyway. Mm-hmm. He sees the Jungle Book. Loves it. And someone clicks in him. And he goes, how, how, do, I, how do they do that? Parents go, well, they draw and each rung's a little different. Sure. Makes Animation. He goes, no, how do I get to the point where I can do that? Mm-hmm. Buy some paper. Starts animating. He's 10 years old, 12 years old. Well, I do want, I, I'm going to look up the exact anecdote because I replicated it in my story. So okay. when he was 11, mm-hmm. uh, he went to Walt Disney World in uh, Florida or okay. whatever, right? And he said, I want to be an animator. Uh-huh. And... The uh, Milt Call is one, of, I believe, one of the nine old men mm-hmm. uh, who are the legendary old Disney animators, right? Yeah. And who he, he routinely makes homage to in his movies. Uh, met him when he was 11 and was like, sure, okay, you want to be an animator? Like, oh, patted right. him on yeah. the head or whatever. Yeah, and he you'll was grow like, out of it. You don't, you're not going to have the stamina to Right. Him. And he was like, no, you don't understand. I want to be an animator. He and seemingly he was, like, was the most intense kid. I think he actually talked about this in one of his Oscar speeches. Um, but anyway. Yes. And then he came back two years later with a completed animated film. Called The Taurus and the Hare. He right. did a retelling of The Taurus and the Hare, which you see large sections of on this thing. And it's pretty, like, it's pretty impressive. And It's, and, like, very much drawn by a 12-year-old, but there's, like, a prodigious sense of character animation within it. And Milk Call was so impressed uh, that he like decided to properly mentor this kid, like and give him notes and teach him how to animate. Uh, Walt Disney animation gave him an internship. He was 14 years old. Crazy. They had never given an internship to a high school student before, but they kind of went, Oh, this is the kid. This is going to be the guy. So they kind of anoint him, bring him in. He interns there under the nine old men. And they all are these very exacting. Right. It's they they came up in in when Disney was like a factory and right. you had to like get shit right like right. well, you know, you right. had to work with precision. And, right. And they're not like, you know, uh Have you heard of the nine old men, Ben? No. They were like the nine classic Disney animators who worked on all the great yeah. films. Okay. Uh Frank and Ollie are the two most famous ones. Yes. 
um, they, that had been around forever, basically. Forever. They forever. refined the 12 basic principles of animation. Yes. Squash and stretch, Help. anticipation, mm-hmm. staging, straight ahead action and post to pose, follow through and overlapping action, slow in and slow out, arcs, secondary action, timing, exaggeration, solid drawing, and appeal. Oh, I don't know what any right. of that means. When does Goofy come into the picture? <laughs> okay, so Goofy's off to the side. Right He's the 10th. <laughs> Nine old man and one like dog man. Yeah. <laughs> what is Goofy? He's a dog, right? Have I gotten into my dark thing? No, I think I talked about this at Disney World with my friends. Man, yeah, I don't know. Let's go off on a Goofy tangent. I'm going to talk about this and you're probably going to want to cut this out. Great, great. Can it be short? Hold on, I'll just mark it. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, mark it right now. Yep. We're almost definitely going to cut this out. Okay. <laughs> but keep in the part where I said All right, Jesus, just say it. We will return to your scheduled programming shortly, but we are experiencing technical difficulties. So Brad Bird, when he's yeah, we're back. 18. We're back. We cut that out. <laughs> yeah. Brad Bird, when he's 18, yeah. gets a scholarship from Disney to attend CalArts. My alma mater that I dropped out of. out of. How quickly? One semester and change. Okay, so you did do one semester. I did one full semester. Right. And then you go back for semester two and you were like, that's that? There was a big I negotiation with my parents. Know. I wanted to leave after the first semester. And they were like, go back. And I went back and I was like, yeah, hell no, hard pass on this. Uh-huh. Um, but but he was one of the reasons I went there. Interesting, sure. Uh, and uh, Tim Burton. Do you know who he meets at CalArts and becomes longtime friends and with? Who doesn't he meet at CalArts? Well, one person who definitely never got in any kind of like uh, troublesome or problematic situation. Someone who greeted him with a hug and a hand on the leg <laughs> uh-huh. and a kiss on the lips. It was John Lasseter. John Lasseter. Who, of course, is going to play a part in uh, Brad Bird's future career. But also Tim Burton is a classmate. Sure, sure. Yeah. Also, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Ron Musker. Yeah, of Disney, who right. directed um, Little Mermaid right. and like, other things. I mean, his classmates are the Pixar guys. The guys so John Musker and Ron Clements. Yes. You turn them into one I'm person. I'm sorry. Yeah. The Disney Renaissance guys. Tim Burton is in the class. Sure. I was there. You were not there. Oh, it's true. I wasn't. I was there. I was. I had a class in A113, the famed A113. Sure. It was bad. I dropped out. <laughs> what was the class? I, th- I think it was like uh, a snow in art or something like that. Were you a- was studying to be an animator in particular or to be I, like a filmmaker? I was studying to be a live action filmmaker, sure. which I think was a mistake. I went to this school because of all the filmmakers I loved who went there, almost all of whom came out of animation. Right. Yeah. And I think it's probably still the best animation school in the world. Sure. But it's it's maybe like UCLA is to me or USC. Those are the film schools in the California. Yeah. I also didn't want to be in college. I really hated it there. I'm sorry. Um, it's also, uh, you know, the, the school is, uh, was founded by Walt Disney. Sure. The original idea was to create a strong animation school so right. that there would be a pipeline for Disney, but then it also would have all the other concentrations. And it's this very 60s, like, uh, kind of art deco-y building. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very small school and the whole school is in one building sure every very class small. Wow. every concentration only 951 undergraduates it's so small yes you got into this school i did it's a it's, it's impressive a, it's a prestigious school to get into and you drop right the fuck out yeah yeah i'll say this though my class so my year okay who was in that cal arts live action filmmaking oh you know everyone danny boyle uh-huh <laughs> barry jenkins sure walt becker barry jenkins definitely went to nyu Right? No, this, I'm telling you who the class was. Believe me. Danny Boyle, uh-huh. Walt Becker, Barry Jenkins, Griffey Nooms, Roger Gosnell, director of Beverly Hills Chihuahua. 
No, he didn't go to NYU. I take the, it back. Fucking, get, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. Do funny. comedy bits. I, ra- yeah, Roger Gosnell. It was hilarious. Okay, listen. The point is, mm-hmm. school is very tiny. It's all in one building, so it's very claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. And he wanted all the different concentrations to be like melding together. Yeah. But it ends up feeling like you're living in a hermetically sealed bubble. I can see that. Sure. And the town. Where is it? Where is it? In? Valencia, California, uh-huh. which is essentially a series of uh, closed off housing communities and shopping mm-hmm. malls, like strip malls. Yeah. Uh, the Valencia, not a Griffey place. Not a Griffey place. The Valencia mm-hmm. town center is what they call the main mall, which has like a street and a neighborhood constructed around it, like the entrance of Disney World, where it's like. Oh, Uncle Jeffy's chocolate shop. Right. It's like, wait, that's sponsored by Nestle. There's no Uncle Jeffy. And wow. they're literally so you were waking people up to the bullshit? Yeah. You're like, guys, there's no such thing as Uncle Jeffy. What? I've always known about <laughs> Uncle Jeffy. He's not even an uncle. I was surrounded by <laughs> sheeple. Uh they literally had speakers in the grates underneath the sidewalk that uh-huh. would play music. And Don't you were, want some Uncle Jeffy's chocolate right now? There were bronze statues of families playing together on the street. Sounds great. Um, Walt Disney's a wacko. Yeah, he didn't build the town center. No, he did. He did. He built okay. it with his own two bare hands. Anyway, let's get back to the history of Brad Bird before we start the discussion of his film, The Iron Giant. Let's talk more about why I dropped that college. <laughs> all right, all right, um, sure. Let's talk about just when colleges start in general. Just when any yeah. college start? Like, name a college. Harvard. Okay. Uh, ben really had to reach for that. Ben, the thing you have to know <laughs> is that at Harvard, they have the statue of the three lies. Do you know about this? Ben? No. Harvard was founded in 1636. That's a long time to be a college. Long time. They have a statue. When you go on the tour, which I did, and I don't want to brag, I did not apply to Harvard because I knew I would not get in. Sure. But my parents thought I was smart. They were wrong. But I went on the tour, (laughs) and there was the statue. The three lies. All right, can you please tell this quickly? (laughs) Jesus. They got this statue, and they're like, this is John Harvard. Here's the Harvard statue. The statue has three lies. Do you know why? And it's like, one, they list the wrong year. Two, John Harvard wasn't the founder. Three, that's not John Harvard. Yes. This is mentioned in an episode of Gilmore Girls. That's how I know that. And here's the point. Yeah. This is supposed to be the fucking smartest school in the country. They're feeding me bullshit. Wake up, you fucking sheeple. College is a joke. (laughs) One thing you should know, remember, Harvard, great school for everything except statue making. Terrible statue making school. One of the most dishonest statue making programs. Terrible statue making program. So this is our worst episode ever. And <laughs> Welcome to our worst ever episode. We've done it. Uh, no, it's good. It's okay. I think this is great. I think we're going to pull it around. Ding dong. What? Whoa. Oh, ding dong. Our bell sounds different. Weird. Oh, right, okay. Can you get the doorbell? Yeah. Hey. Uh. Who's this? You're, sir, you're, you're soaking up the carpet here in the studio. I'm wet. Yeah. yeah. All my sheets are wet. Ben, relax. Relax. Yes, it's exciting. It's a wet man. There's a very wet man who's hey, entered the studio. Hey. I need help. All right. All my linens that I sell at the brook. Okay. The brook, like a, a bubbling brook. I like thought a, a body a, of water. I thought it was a good place to sell. All right. Okay. I mean. They're, they got wet. Did you I drop s- them in the brook? <laughs> I, I drop my linens. Your linens. And wares in the brook. So. You had some linens. You were just—they were dry, dry linens. Up. They looked nice. You were by the brook. Business was good. It was good. There's a lot of people like coming down the brook. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. But then linens went in the brook. All right. Well, buddy, 
let me talk to you about coincidentally there's there's a little there's a little like a, a homophone going on here but like we've got a sponsor on the show brooklinen.com oh my god brooklinen.com get out of here well you are gonna need to get out of here because oh, you are introdu- quite wet i should introduce myself too what's your name my name is brooke <laughs> Uh, Do you that, see the synergy is there? That, is that why you thought, like, go to a brook? It's right? Brooks, Brooks, Brooks. Brooks. <laughs> Are you one of the Brooks brothers, or are you just a different guy? No. Okay, all right, cool. Well, let me ask you a question, because I don't know. I spent about a third of my life in sheets, sleeping. I don't know about you, Brooke. I live in a tent. <laughs> Do you, no sheets at all? No. Okay, well, I... Uh, have found that Brooklyn really makes a difference in how I sleep because I upgraded to the best, most comfortable sheets with no big markup. Okay. All right, Brookie, you seem like somewhat interested. Let me, so let me bring it back to you. This is, this is founded by a husband and wife team, Vicky and Rich Fulop. So like, like you, it's a little startup, little like, you know, homegrown, uh, you know, like you, you've got your Brooklynens. They right. have Brooklynen. Oh, I guess I have heard of this. Yeah, I mean, they they just have this philosophy that they want to give you the most beautiful, comfortable home essentials with no crazy prices. They found out, like, bedding is usually marked up, like, 300%. They don't do that. Brooklinen's the fastest-growing bedding brand in the world. They've got 15,000 five-star reviews. They won the best online bedding category at Good Housekeeping. So, I mean, they're doing great. I don't mean to, like, put you to shame over here, Brooke. I mean, I'm just pointing out, like, some strategies you could follow, I guess. So you maybe would like luxury ben- bed- bedding that's underpriced? Yeah. Like, that you'd like to try that today? Yeah, I want okay. some dry sheets. And just totally, totally, this is an unrelated question. It's about your brooks. I mean, your your linens, not your brooks. Thanks. Do you mix and match the patterns and stuff? I'd like to. Yeah. Well, they do that at Brooklinen. What? Yes. So our listeners, there's an exclusive offer. You can get $20 off and free shipping if you use promo code check at brooklinen.com. Don't mind me. I'm just vaping. Oh yeah, <laughs> I see. I was wondering, and like the, the the damp smell mixed with the vape smell, it's it's an interesting bouquet you've brought to the studio. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, so Brooklyn is so confident that they offer a risk free sixty night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all their sheets and comforters. And the only way to get twenty dollars off and free shipping is to use promo code check Brooklyn dot com. Do you have a pen? Uh, I mean, I have hey, a pen. Here, here you go, man. Oh, you're all wet. It's cool. Thanks. All right. I'm writing it down. All right. So it's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code check. That's what you want to do. You want to go to Brooklyn so and get the best sheets I go ever. to the website and I make sure I put it in right. You mean, yes. You I put just, in. I look at it, at it and, and you put in Brooklyn.com and that's it. No. Then you add the promo code check and you'll oh, get $20 off in free shipping. All right. That's that's uh, well, they best sheets ever to my brook. Um, you know, do you have like a PO box or something? No. So you just kind of like you kind of catch the mailman on the way over, like you sort of what give him a wave. That. <laughs> All right, we're gonna give you some extra coaching off mic, but you are so wet, sir. Uh, you must leave. All right, fine. All right. Wow, that guy was so cool. You think so? Just was it just the wetness? I like vaping too. <laughs> so Brad Bird goes to CalArts, graduates within two years. Yes, gets hired onto Disney, and everyone's like, "This is the kid." Everyone's saying it. Jimmy Carter, right? Uh, <laughs> I couldn't think of anyone else from nineteen eighty. Brad Bird's the kid. Is that Carter? I don't. Carter's sure. a hard one to do an impression of. No, you were 
basically had it there. A crisis of confidence. You know, he has that this- only Brad Bird can rectify. <laughs> Everyone's like, you're putting a lot on this 20-year-old drive. Anyway, um, he works on The Fox and the Hound. Which is a weird Rosetta Stone movie where, like, all the people who go on to revolutionize animation all worked on that movie and were miserable. Yeah, well, it's also when Disney animation's just in the dumps. They haven't even made a movie for four years. Uh, Nine old men have been pushed out the door. We're all being forced to retirement. And Brad Bird shows up and he's like, this isn't the Disney I spent my entire life wanting to work for. It's a real low point. And Disney. Disney's sort of on the brink of, of you know, Ruin. shutting down yes. totally. And animation yes. is like very low on their list of priorities. Yeah. And he is very outspoken because he was taught by these exacting men who trusted in him that he had to uphold a standard of quality. Yeah. So some of the people who worked on this movie, John Lasseter, John Musker, Ron Clements, Glenn Keane, Tim Burton, Henry Selleck, Mark Dindal, who directed The Great Emperor's New Groove, and mm-hmm. Brad Burp. Right, so it's like literally, it's it's the murderer's row of guys who are all miserable working on this movie, and Chris Buck who made Surfs Up. So yeah, suck on that. So yeah, he quits. Uh, he tells the story very dramatically about how he goes into the office of his bosses and goes like, "This is bullshit. This is how it can be better. Why aren't we pushing ourselves?" Right, and they were like, "What are you nineteen? Yeah, what the Go fuck? Away. Get out of here. We don't care." He was probably like twenty two. Yeah. Right. Um, then he works and, and he, and, and they, yeah, they, they fire him, uh, yes. for standing up to them for being so difficult for being a cog in the wheel. So now he's kind of disgraced. He says they literally mimed ripping the stripes off his shoulder. Like it was like, you were <laughs> sure, sure. the right. kid and now Disney. get the fuck out the door. Um, and, and he tells the story about how he's walking out and he turns to them and he goes, well, this has been, and he pauses cause he can't think of the right word to say. And they look at him and they go. A disappointment. Wow. So it's like Brad. kick to the door. You were supposed to be the guy and now you're too difficult to make it in this industry. And he's trying to find a place to land. Sure. And around this same time, his sister is murdered. Oh, I didn't know that. This that is sucks. a huge part of the story that I didn't know before watching this Ooh. documentary. His sister is it's not even mentioned on is there. Yeah. shot by her husband. Ugh. That sucks. Yeah. He's Sorry, very Brad. close. He has many siblings, four three siblings. Yes. Uh, Very close with the sister, and it really kind of destroys him. Maybe this is before or after. The one thing that kind of comes of this is uh, Spielberg kind of takes note of him. Spielberg, uh, he worked on Amazing Stories, which was Spielberg's 80s show. He directs an episode called Family Dog. That show was kind of a disappointment, but that episode was one of the highlights. It's a good show. I used to watch it when I was a kid. At the time, though, it was very hyped. Yeah, because it was Spielberg. It was a disappointment. um, uh, Family Dog is one of the few fully animated episodes, if not the only one, and it was a big hit. Mm -hmm. And they actually released it in theaters before Land Before Time because Land Before Time was so short. It is very short. Very good, though. Yes. Sharp Tooth, though. And and they kind of like— Sharp Tooth, though. Ducky, though. Okay. Um, They kind of Proudfoot, though. Um, uh, Isn't it Bigfoot? Whatever. Littlefoot. Is it Littlefoot? I don't know. Whatever. Who gives a shit? It's the worst episode, David. We can do whatever we want. We've <laughs> already decided. A great movie. We've already decided it's the worst episode, so nothing matters anymore. True. Littlefoot. Okay. Great. Congratulations. Five <laughs> dinosaur points. <laughs> so, Family Dog was like a bit of an upswing. Yeah. And, and then, then he writes Batteries Not Included, uh, right, which is which an was, Amblin movie. Was supposed to be an episode of Amazing Stories. Right. Got expanded to Future Lang. Mm-hmm. Um. But but he's not really finding a place. He starts getting thrown into these rooms, but every time he gets close to something, they go, "He's too difficult." He's too difficult. Maybe, yeah. I mean, he's in the TV world. Yes. There's he a, works for Klasky Cuspo. 
Well, so before that, he, he tries to make a feature film off of The Spirit, the Will Eisner comic. I'd love to see him make that. But he wanted to make it like a PG-13 action movie. Right. And every studio he goes to goes, look, we good can't script, deny you're cool, smart, but you're we can't give artist. you this money. Animated movies have a cap. Adults don't go see them. You yeah. can't do this. Right. And he always felt very frustrated about what he perceived as the limitations of what studios think animation can be. He gets so mad about it. He hates the idea that there's animation is like a subcategory or a genre. It's not like, it's a a film, right? It's a medium. I made a film. He gets very fussy about this on every director's commentary, but but he's kind of made a lot of enemies around town just from like, look, Brad Bird, not worth it. Yeah. Not worth it. You're never going to get it done if you hire Brad Bird. So he gets this job at class Bay Supo where he's kind of like taking his lumps and he's like, I mean, he's an animator on the Rugrats pilot, you know? Then he's sort of like a director and a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Advisor. But Simpsons is the big one that he says in the depression after his sister's death, which I guess comes after Family Dog. Mm -hmm. um, That was the one thing that kind of kept him afloat was for eight years. He was a consultant, executive consultant on the Simpsons. Directs Krusty Got Busted, which I think is the first great episode of the show. The one that really holds up in season one. Like Father Like Clown, which is the one with the rabbi. Which he uh, co-directs. And then he also directs the most important film of the 1990s. The Iron Giant. The Bartman music video. Yes, he does. He solely directs the Bartman music video. Right. Uh, and uh, But but he's rebuilt a little bit. Now, during the 90s, he's also trying to get other films off the ground. He comes very close to directing Curious George movie. Yeah. Doesn't happen. Live action anime and stuff keeps on getting close to stuff. Doesn't happen. Well, most, well are you going to talk about Ray Gun? Yes. Okay. So Turner Animation. Ted Turner decides that he wants to get into the animation biz because it's the 90s. Disney's had this huge renaissance. They're the most profitable movies around. Everyone suddenly thinks that they can do animation. Yeah. And none of these other studios' attempts at doing animation really work. Mm. Fox comes the closest with the Bluth run, but that dries up really fast. Sure. Uh, But Turner's getting into the game. They make a movie called Cats Don't Dance. Which I have never seen. I saw it in theaters. I'm probably one of 10. Yeah. It's a Scott Bakula picture. Sure. Kids love Scott Bakula pictures. Yeah. But they bring Brad Bird in as like kind of he said that for a long time when these animation studios were starting up, they bring him on because they wanted to brag about we have Brad Bird. Cats Don't Dance won the Annie for Best Animated Feature. It's pretty solid. Mark Dindle directed it. It's a Dindle picture. Yep. But they would want to go like, look, look at our roster. We have Brad Bird in our bench. Sure, sure. But they wouldn't actually let him do anything. Right. He has a script that he wrote with Mark Robbins. Yep. Uh, Matthew Robbins. Matthew Robbins, sorry, yep. who's the same guy who he uh, wrote, uh, uh, whatchamacallit with, uh, Batteries Not Included. Yep. And um, it's called Ray Gunn, and it's a sci-fi noir set in the future, Ben. It's a future noir. You're, I'm listening. Sci-fi noir about a detective named Ray Gunn. Cool. Yeah, it's a good good name. But it's kind of a hard-edged, not, not really a kid's movie. He has talked about wanting to make this movie even now, like he, he brings it up. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, and it keeps on getting close, but they're not pulling the trigger. And then Warner's buys Turner. Right. And suddenly Ray Gunn is gone. Gone. And he has 30 days left on his Turner contract that are about to expire. Right. Warner brothers now has their own animation studio. They put all their money into quest for Camelot, a movie that everyone remembers, yep. which they think is going to put them on the map. Did you see that one? I did. How is it? Not good. Yeah. Saw that in theaters opening weekend as well. I'm, yeah, this is so that came out in '98. Yeah, Iron Man, Iron Man, Iron Giant hmm, comes out in '99, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I'm 
13 when this movie comes out. Okay. So I am no longer at the stage where if there's an animated movie in theaters, like I'm there. Right. I would you know? see, right. I would see everyone and then at the age where I was starting to become embarrassed about it, Romley was old enough to see movies and so I'd be you like, take her. Oh, I'm just taking her. Right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. not like I want to check out the character animation in Home on the Range. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about the craft of this thing. Brother Bear. Uh Brother Bear is weirdly the one I didn't see. Okay, fair enough. I, like maybe the only Disney film I've never seen. We talked about this in some other okay, episode, fine. I think. That's great. Anyway. Anyway, anyway. He's got thirty days left. Mm-hmm. they're trying to pick what their next movie's going to be. Uh-huh. And one of the things they have that they're really bullish on, because they go to Bradbury and they go, look, any of these you're interested in, is The Iron Giant. Right. A Ted Hughes short story that he wrote to console called, his children after his wife, Sylvia Plath, committed suicide. It's called The Iron Man. It's oh. a great book. I used to read it all Excellent. the time. Excellent. It's, it's, and it's kind of classic in England. Why, it's a fable. It's very, why, it's a huge classic in England, as is the sequel, The Iron read Woman. It growing up, though. I did because he was the poet laureate of Britain, and right, that's you, a country in which I spent a lot of my adolescence. What? <gasps> ben rolled his eyes at me. Ted Hughes is kind of problematic. Uh, yeah, bit of a dickhead. Yeah, yeah, he was, decent uh, poet though. Yeah, he was. Yeah, but um, he was awful to Sylvia. Not yeah. nice, and I think it had a big part in her committing suicide i think so too it's a fun thing to talk about in this episode well it's the worst one so i just figured why not i yeah. don't know, uh, yeah, uh, but uh, you know who else is problematic oven in the head right yeah yes or head in the oven sorry whoa well, yeah. yeah yeah wow <laughs> do you know who else is problematic who? almost everyone true yeah i mean it's i, I don't say that to excuse no him, no no, no. It's, but it's especially you get into all those like beloved well, authors well, sure. if you go back novelist, in time yeah. no people, oh, come on ernest hemingway Cool guy. Yeah. So cool. Clean slate, Raul Dahl, <laughs> famously chill, especially towards Jews. <laughs> um, Ted Hughes. It's just funny because I was very into the the Iron Man, the book, when mm-hmm. I was a kid, when I moved to England. Okay. And I read it. And so I saw the Iron Giant because specifically I oh, was interested in an adaptation of the Hughes book. It was like and a, then me I read- when Captain Underpants came out. Exactly. Yeah. And then when, and I also read the Iron Woman, which is uh, not as good, but still okay. kind of good, which is more about like environmentalism. Mm-hmm. Whereas like the Iron Man is more of like a very basic like monster from outer space, like industrialism versus naturalism, you know, whatever. But I did read a lot of his poetry when I was in high school, just it was assigned to me. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the book is very different. Book is very different, but one person liked the book a lot. Pete Townsend of The Who. Who post Tommy goes, I need to come up with a subject for my next right. rock opera. I want to make another rock opera, and it's going to be about the Iron Man. Not uh, Tony Stark. No. No, no. No, definite article in front of this title. The Iron Man. So he wrote a rock musical, mm-hmm. which has been staged and has been released, although not like it's not widely the available. The soundtrack's available, yes. but it was never like mounted in a real production. No. They did a kind of lot of tryouts and workshops and things like that and limited runs. Uh, Des McAknuff, yes. however you say his name. McAknuff. McAknuff, Broadway legend, uh, most famously directed The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle, was sort of directing it because he did the Broadway production of Tommy as well. Uh, Warner Brothers acquires the rights. They're looking for their own kind of big musical. And yes, because, so they work on this with him. Right. Yes. Disney's got all the fairy tales, so they want to find other children's stories that they can turn to musicals. So they adapt this. They've been trying to work on it as a CGI feature. Sure. Brad Bird comes in and goes, look, I'm not crazy about this music. 
Right. I don't like the music. I don't want it to be 3D. I don't like the design you got going on. I'm not on. particularly interested in the story. I want to set it in the 50s instead. Well, like, there's something here. And he goes, can, he still can you likes, give me the weekend? He, and he has his pitch. Do you want to say the pitch? Uh, you're, his you're, pitch is, because it's very tied to the sister. He had spent years. I'm, I'm letting you talk. Grappling with gun violence yes. as an issue in this country. Having lost someone he cared about deeply to like a senseless act of violence that would not have been possible. You know, as as such a hair trigger decision of a man going through a crisis, were guns to not exist, and he says, "What if an object had a soul, and it knew what it was? What if a gun had a soul, and what if a gun knew it was a gun and didn't want to be a gun?" And he goes into the room and says that to them, and they all go, "Ooh." And then he gives them this whole pitch. And he goes, look, I don't want to be Disney. I don't think we should be trying to fight Disney. I think we should own what we are and be our own thing. So here's my pitch. It's the 1950s. It's the Cold War. It's like Norman Rockwell. We have robots. We have rock and roll. We have hippies. We have beatniks. Sure. Gives them this whole pitch. The military, guns. And it's all about what if a gun chose not to be a gun? It's all great. And they go. Cool. Go for it. Yeah. Sure. Here you go. Here's a green light. You have. One third of the time and half the budget. Big budget, though. 40 plus 30 for marketing is what I heard. I think it was maybe closer to 50 at the end of the day. Box Office Mojo lists the budget at 70. Which, by accounts, that was factoring in the marketing. But that never, well, whatever. Okay. That's what everyone says. Third of the budget. Pete Townsend. How do you feel about Pete Townsend? Love the who. Said... When they told him, mm-hmm. uh, we're sorry, we're not going to do the rock musical thing and like, we're not going to use your songs, said, whatever, I got paid. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> that was his uh, reaction. And then he later saw the movie and said, it's really good. <laughs> uh, I read some interview with him when I was looking around where he was like, great movie. As, as did Des, who has a producer credit on this movie and did jack shit. They both just got paid to not have their work adapted. Uh, yeah. And uh, Ted Hughes died, but he read the script and liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. And his daughter, Frida Hughes, uh, Sylvia Plath's daughter, um, uh, loved the movie mm-hmm. and has spoken very fondly of it. And Tim McCanley's was hired to write the script. Yes. Weirdly which they enough. Have very limited time. He wrote it in three weeks off of Brad Bird's outline. Brad Bird was reticent to let on another writer. He was, but Brad Bird's outline ends with the uh, world being engulfed in nuclear war. Yes. <laughs> so McCanley sort of smoothed some of that I can out. see that ending. <laughs> sure. Uh, and like, I think in the end of Brad Bird's treatment, like the Iron Giant is dead. Like 100%. that is that, you know. Which and to McCanley, it's just like, you can't, that's you can't do that. That's and, when, and when he read the script <laughs> right? and he's, he saw that's how, such a huge right. bummer. Right, <laughs> and that's also the best moment of the film is the ending. I think the ending is 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 important. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't think a bleaker ending serves the movie. Yeah, no, and it's set up really well, and we'll get to the ending in a moment. But so okay. now let's talk about the movie, and then we'll talk about the reception to the movie. Great. After that, okay, great. Okay, so the movie's called The Iron Giant. Yes, it starts with oh, uh, it's the best movie, and I love it. You love it. I've seen it one million times and I Uh cry every time. It's a great film. Yes. It's a great American film. Ben, you had not seen it before. I've not seen it before until last night. And it's good. (laughs) (laughs) The verdict is in, folks. What what were your thoughts vis-a-vis size of the giant? Perfect. Now, he's not small. He's 
quite large. Huge. Huge. Very big. It's it's great. You know I how mean, there's like a tree? He's like, that's like his foot. Yeah. He, he's way taller than a tree. Ginormous. Yeah. Yes. No, I mean, I went into this. <laughs> I'm like, the name I'm already, I'm already in. But you thought maybe what? 10, yeah. 10 foot six. I'm like, let's see how giant we're talking. <laughs> and it, it, it beat out all the expectations. Yeah. I see Ben like tapping his fingers, yeah. you know, on the okay, desk. Let's see like, how hey, big hey, hey, come on. Whoa. Yeah. Like the, giant. the it was like kind of like wide shots of him walking, you know, yeah. like love. That's, that's what we need. Yes. More. Of. This movie has a great uh, sense of scale. It yes. really does. Yes. And, and important to note, a thing he did on this, and this was kind of revolutionary, was Giant is totally CGI. Uh, interesting, sure. 100% CGI. Whereas everything else, and, and you can tell the difference. Yes. Uh, because the, the animation's lovely, but it's, it's very traditional. Right, and uh, hand-drawn animation it is difficult to convey solid mechanical objects in that same kind of way. See, this is what we have a rigidity. for. rigidity. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that makes sense. It's So they use kind of cel-shaded animation, CGI painted over it to make it look like 2D. Yep. But they also, animation, I don't know if you know about the concept of, of ones versus twos, threes, fours. No. But it's about the fluidity of your animation. The fullest animation is shot on ones, which means for 24 frames per second, you have one image per frame. Yes. 24 images a second, essentially. Right. Um. But a lot of animation gets away with doing twos or threes. So that's like two is two like twelve exactly. frames per you, you second or whatever. Each David, are you following this? <laughs> Math man, I don't know. I've, I've like I lost about twenty four uh, or whatever. What the fuck, he's talking. All right, about. If you're shooting right, let's at go back twos, to him. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. What's up? If you're shooting at twos, you're filming each drawing twice, which cuts the budget in half because it cuts the amount of of drawings. Fucking drawings you have to do. Can I just say as an aside, it is so crazy that there's a kind of movie where people just take a big piece of paper and draw something and then they have to do that like one million more times and every time the thing's just moving a little bit. Like, and if I did that, I would lose my mind in a day and I would kill myself and I'm very afraid of dying. Uh, I want to be clear. I originally want. I would commit suicide. I originally want to be an animator, which is, I think, why I went to college because I had already picked that as the school for me. Yeah, yeah, you, you mentioned, yeah, right. And I did animation. I did like a summer intensive program at NYU, and I wanted to kill myself. It, it just seems so, so. I, I, I immediately realized I did not have the stamina to right. do it. Demanding and like the endurance required, concentration. Right? It does not seem like things you would be able to deal with, like no. knowing you. Right. I think I was pretty good at it, but good it drove drawing, me sure. insane. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely insane. And the other thing you have to understand is I know this is obvious, but I'll just state this with computer animation, you build the models of all the characters and the sets in the computer. So that exists, and then you're sort of animating that model. Much like stop-motion animation, you have a physical puppet that you're animating. With hand-drawn animation, you have to do the drawing from scratch every time. You know? Yeah, that's that's just crazy! Right, you have to draw a full Hogarth just to get his fingers to move a little bit. Now, like, Hanna-Barbera would cut corners by being like, we're going to use a still image of Shaggy and only animate his mouth. But that's why Hanna-Barbera cartoons look terrible. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Brad Bird was always an advocate of full animation, which is a very tedious, very obsessive yeah. process. Anyway, what were you saying about ones and twos or whatever? Uh, they shot the Iron Giant on twos, okay. which isn't really a thing with CGI. But they wanted to make the CGI look rougher so that it would blend in better with 
the animation, which I think is kind of interesting. Sure. It also works because he's so large that his mass is different. He moves slowly. Right, but he also just seems to occupy like space in a different way. Right. He really does. Which helps. Yeah. Now, here's the other thing Brad Bird did in this movie that's big. Was not unprecedented, but was very much against the norm at the time and now sure. has become the norm on all films. Okay. For a very long period of time, it would be you are an animator assigned to a character. Yes, right. Yes, that's that's what I think of as animation, right. classic animation. Right. right. So like you're Disney, your job. You're, you're doing the chipmunk. Yeah. Right, right. You're Miko and Pocahontas. And your job is to do Miko throughout the film. Right. And the better animators, the more high-ranking the senior more animator, complicated you get to do right. Pocahontas yeah, or whoever. Right. Yeah. Brad Bird on this movie said, I want each animator to take on a scene. Oh, interesting. You are assigned a scene and you are responsible for all the character animation in that scene. Okay. You are directing that scene in its entirety. Right. Because I think, especially when you get to like the rockier Disney films, you see like, this feels like seven different movies. Sure. You know, the like the funny supporting animal is in a different film than the crazy over the top villain than the bland generic square jawed hero. Right. You know, Uh, this is like, I want each animator to have a sense of ownership over each scene. Okay. So you're putting the whole scene together and we're revising that over and over and over again. Right. So he's really directing the fuck out of this. And a big thing he does on this movie is open critiques, which weren't a thing. We're going to screen to you? the rough animation <laughs> oh. or your storyboards or whatever <laughs> in critiques. front of everyone else uh, onto a whiteboard. And I'm going to get up there with a marker and, and show like, you what you should wrong. be doing differently. The head should be 15 degrees this way. We need more of a joke in this. So you're saying that he took a process that I just described is very stressful and yes. he made it much more stressful for these right. people. Right. right. But the other thing he said to them was, we don't have the time. We don't have the money. We don't have the reputation. Okay. All the best animators are at other studios. DreamWorks was starting up at this point. Katzenberg had a chip on his shoulder being ousted from Disney, wanted to prove that he was better than them. They had stolen almost everyone good from Disney. Disney had the remains. Then you still had Fox and Bluth and TV and all these other places. Sure. So they were getting people who either essentially had been pushed into retirement, right. old guys who he was pulling out of retirement to do favors to help on this movie, or young guys who had not been given a shot before or too green experience, or people who were just insane. People sure. who were like, She's good, but she's right, just she's, an asshole. Right, right. Or he's good, but he's crazy. Yeah. And he just picked up all the latchkey kids. Okay. And said, I don't want us to make any excuses. I think we can fucking own Disney. And how badass are we going to feel if we come out and we're like, we're Warner Brothers animation. This studio doesn't have an identity. We can fucking define it. We can push the boundaries of what animation is. And what I want to do is not feel incentivized to outdo them in terms of bombast. Because I see these movies, there are too many jokes. There are too many songs. True. The emotions are too wild. I mean, this is all fair. Yeah. I want us to leave nothing on the table in terms of creativity. Sure. But I want us to make a film with restraint. And then held everyone to insane, insane standards. Right. So now we've accurately described Brad Bird's creative process. Right. Um, And and here's, I'll I'll tell you, emblematic of this. Yep. The very opening of this movie is the Warner Brothers logo, but he does it as so good, like yeah. a radio sonar signal. Yes, he refused to have the traditional Warner Brothers animation intro, which has Bugs da, Bunny da, 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 leaning da, 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 against da, 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 the know. thing, eating oh, a carrot, yeah. Yeah. yeah, with a tuxedo. Didn't want that because this was a different kind of movie, right? So he designed that very cool yes. uh, opening logo, which, which was the never only way they would again. compromise with him, right? Yeah. Um, and then we go straight into uh, M. Emmett Walsh on mm-hmm. a on a boat. Yeah, good voice acting in this movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Sailor, it's a storm. Yeah. 
something crashes into we we see from the space something crash into a hurricane and it's dark like it's dark and ominous sure and it is completely devoid of jokes true in yeah. a way that would feel weird in a disney movie i guess you're right disney movies often have an atmospheric opening sure like your beauty and the beast or even okay. you know whatever fair enough. yeah fair enough uh man on the sea weird waves sonar pinging what is that in the distance he thinks it's a lighthouse no, 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 no. <laughs> well, we've seen, again, from space, we've seen this thing crash. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes, right. That's the very beginning. <laughs> yeah. So he, you know, yeah, this, he smashes into the Iron Giant. Yeah. We'll, we'll see more of him later. But he, here's the idea. Like, you know, like a person, one iron yes. instead of, you know, blood and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Two, real tall. Now, I have a very important question for you. Yep. And he's also wet at this point. We should mention that, Ben. He's very true. big and he's very wet. That's yes. true. Yep. Yes. This movie's set in Maine. Mm-hmm. Coastal Maine. I have, a, I have a very important question for you. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember. I watched this movie last night, but for some reason, it's escaping my memory. Uh, David, mm. uh, is the Iron Giant uh, wearing a shirt in this sequence? Uh, no, no shirt. Oh, interesting. So the Iron Giant took a shirt off because the Iron Giant only takes a shirt off for Vin Diesel movies. <laughs> and baby, this is a fucking... Vin Diesel movie is a true. Vin Diesel vehicle. He's the title character. We did it. We did it. Thank you for turning away. I got a fucking Vin Diesel movie. This we covered mo- him in little supporting parts, but baby, this is a vehicle. This Vin is- Diesel above the title, number one movie star, greatest of all time, shirtless. <laughs> this is his third credit. On a feature film. Same Prev Ryan. Strays, his, right. his like weird little. Yeah. Same Prev Ryan, the Iron Giant. Yeah. He was like a friend who was recommended. Because uh, Brebber was like, oh, they wanted, you know, Brad Pitt. They wanted uh, Schwarzenegger to play Manly. Like, they were asking for all these big names. He said the only one he took was Jennifer Aniston as the mom. He thought she was good. And the rest of them, he hired the character actors that he wanted. And I believe an animator on the film was like, I got this buddy who like just got cast in Spielberg's movie. He's like starting sure. to get big. Got a great voice. He's got a great fucking voice. Right. And it was literally just like that. Like they they didn't think they were betting on someone who was going to turn out to be. He's got film. a great voice. I mean, you yeah. hear the Groot in it, you know, like yeah. it's I it's not as synthesized as I even remembered. No. Like it's, you know, he's doing his thing. Yes. Groot. And they have clips of him in 1997, 98. Uh, Superman. Right, doing the voice while wearing sunglasses. Even back then, he wore sunglasses <laughs> in the recording studio. My man, Van, can't be stopped. Yeah, he casts Eli Marenthal, who we all know is Stifler's brother in American Pie. 100%. Lil Stifler. Um, he <laughs> casts Christopher McDonald, who's like a, you know, I mean, he's the guy from Happy Gilmore, right? Schumer right. Gavin. But like, yeah. he's like a guy. Yeah, You know yeah. that guy. He's oh, the villain. Yeah. He's a great asshole. You want to know the weirdest? He's thing? so good. I think Christopher McDonald's so incredible. And they wanted uh, Schwarzenegger. Warner Brothers was trying to convince him to cast Schwarzenegger. Why would you have? He's supposed to be like a, a square jawed American, like uh, you know, G man. Brad, listen to us, okay? We just got the dailies <laughs> back from Batman and Robin, and I think this guy's range is going to blow you away. We're seeing new sides of Arnold. We also, would you have to like pay him like money? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, Carrie Connick Jr., who I think is amazing. Right. I as, think that's where they wanted Brad Pitt, or there was another big person they wanted to. As uh, Dean, but the, he's the beatnik. Phenomenalness. So good. Yeah. And just, well, uh, yeah. Aniston, who I think is really good. Really fucking solid. Uh, yeah. Although there are a couple times where you're like, it's Rachel. Like, you know, yeah. like sometimes she sure. just sort of says a word and you're like, oh my God. Like, yeah. uh, Ross. 
But this what was like very much a, a John Mahoney. John Mahoney, the great John Mahoney. Uh, James Gammon. Clarice yeah. Leachman is in this for a second. Yeah. She's the teacher. Did you mention Vin Diesel? Uh, Vinny D. Vinny D. Zul. Yeah. Uh, Ollie and Frank, uh, the old sure. nine of the old men, uh, play the train engineer. Sure. This is very much the time, though, when uh, even when you had someone as big as Jennifer Aniston was at this present you moment. You don't put it over like the this. title. Yeah. And, and it also, you don't play to their star persona. She's just showing up doing her job. She's playing the character. Right. You know? Yeah. You get to like something like fucking Rubbits, the Blue Sky movie, and everyone's like, you know what I'm saying? Uh huh. I Everyone's totally like, know what you're saying. It's like, hey, remember when he was talking about the one and two thing? I, yeah. I actually I have no idea what I that almost was. Became I almost like, like, my mind was blank. I also have talking. arthritis yeah. in my hands. So I, it's not, I'm not really made for that field because my hands hurt very easily. You have arthritis in your hands? Yeah, has this never come up? No. I have arthritis in my hands. How? Do you have like an know. autoimmune condition? Uh, no, my body's just, uh, what's the shit? Uh, bad. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Uh, yeah. I got when I was 15 years old. Wow. How I'm bad? It's be so much fun when I'm 35. Uh, you're not 35 right now? Uh, no, I turn 35 next week. Okay. I'm at, uh, 28 right now. Next week I'm turning. 35. Oh, no, wait, we're recording this in, uh, 2011. So you're like 19 right. or whatever. Yeah. Okay. This, I mean, this is the worst episode we ever recorded, uh, right? It's awful. There was literally no way for this episode to get any worse or any more frustrating to you. Ding dong. Oh, I didn't like Ding. how you were setting that up. Uh, get okay. the door, Griffin. I wasn't setting anything up. I can't control when people show up. Oh, you're right. Yep. Okay. Oh, my God, David. What? Oh, my God. I, I, what? <laughs> it's our friend from Wide Awake. Uh. <laughs> Look at him. Are you talking about that movie? The Tie Tie Boy? The first Shyamalan movie. Oh no, he looks like he's falling over. Oh god, we can't let him just fall on the floor. You're right. He's we should stability. get him something to land on, like a Casper mattress, probably. Yeah, do we have one? I mean, all I see in the studio is a, a mini fridge and then a box roughly the same size right next to it. Listen to me, my friend. Casper's a sleep brand that makes expertly designed products to help you get your best rest one night at a time. And that'll go for this weird kid. <laughs> Look at him and he's mid-toothbrush. Uh, well, I mean, you know, this is the kind of product that's designed to mimic, you know, the human body. Uh, it pro- provides supportive comfort for all kinds of people. <laughs> like even funny tight I mean, voice. I was going to say that usually when we're talking about Casper, I mentioned that you spend a third of your life sleeping, but he's been developed three thirds, three thirds. It's funny because the title's wide awake. Um, okay. <laughs> he's asleep. Well, the original Casper mattress, which we got right here, combines uh-huh. multiple supportive memory foams for yeah. a quality sleep surface with mm-hmm. just the right amounts of sink and bounce, uh-huh. baby. Yeah. And it has 20,000 reviews <laughs> and an average of 4.8 stars across Casper, Amazon, and Google. Casper's becoming uh-huh. the internet's favorite mattress. Wait a second. He's waking up to say something? Amazon's a good company that's never done anything oh, wrong. Right, yeah. Get out of here. Get out of here. Here's the cool thing about Casper. It offers the, the wave, wave and the essential. And the, essential. the right. wave features a patent pending premium support system to mirror the natural shape of your body, whereas the essential has a streamlined design at a price that won't keep you up at night. Yeah, well, I don't think anything is going to keep this kid up at night. He's so fast asleep. And look, if this fast asleep kid ever does wake up not completely satisfied, there's a hassle-free return system. Well, that's great. But look at him right now. Look how funny he is. There's free shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada. Yeah, look, he'll he'll never send it back. He's never going to wake up again. He probably has a medical problem, right? And I, I, yeah, he probably does have a medical problem. I have a Casper. I don't have a medical problem, but I do get a good night's sleep on it. Oh, great. So you can like lie on your Casper and watch... uh, 
uh, masterpieces Anna like Wide Awake, sophomore film that we're awake. referencing a lot. Yeah. Well, all right. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100 night risk free sleep bonnet trial. Uh, so you can get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash check and using promo code check at checkout terms and conditions apply. Okay. So you have to be verified on Twitter in order to use this promo code. No. You need a check, a blue no. check next to your No, name? you just go to casper.com slash check and use promo code check at checkout for select mattresses. Terms and conditions apply. It's going to be hard for him to do because he's asleep. Let's get him out of here. So you stop laughing. <laughs> Bye. All right, so Iron Giant crashes. Yeah, Hogarth, Hogarth Hughes. Great name. Great Hog. name. Hog hug. <laughs> Hog hug. Hog hug. It's really funny. Yeah, when he says that. Yeah. Um. He's uh. Yeah. He's a latchkey kid. Mm-hmm. His mom's a waitress. Mm-hmm. He lives in this little town. He likes horror movies. Mm-hmm. Uh. What else does he like? Spa- he likes comic books. He comic likes books. Mad Magazine. He likes his Kobos. Um. Hogarth is right from the Ted Hughes book, too. What a name. Yeah. Uh, what else? Uh, he likes uh, landslides, sprinkling chocolate into his milkshake. Sure. He likes Twinkies. Yeah. Uh, he seems like a cool kid. He's a great kid. He's playing in the woods by himself. He he, he has fun. This He's got like a fun. vivid imagination. And yeah, he he also idea. likes to take in stray animals and stuff. Oh, yeah, that's oh, right. Because yes. his first thing is where he has the, he the chipmunk or the squirrel or he whatever it is. And he lets it loose in his mom's diner and it goes up... Uh, uh, Dean's pants, yes. and that's how we meet Dean. Which is he's really funny in that scene. The economy of this movie of just like it's a short movie, ninety minutes with credits. Yeah, you eighty-seven know? minutes with credits right. actually. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I, I think the film ends up coming in at like eighty. Sure, yeah, yeah. eighty-two. Yeah. Right. Um. Uh. He that that was another thing at the time was because animation was so expensive and because it rarely played to adults. Everyone was like, "Anime movies." 80 minutes tops. Yeah, sure. We need to pack in the kids. with credits. Right. You don't get longer than that. There's yeah, an yeah, efficiency yeah. to these movies. But this is just like, he could have had the squirrel scene happen to anybody. It could have just been squirrel running wild. But it's like, right. why not use this to introduce the other main players? Uh, agreed. This Spend is all also, the pieces on the board ASAP. This is also the one sequence that feels like a little more Disney, right? Because it's sure. this sort of wild, like slightly exaggerated sequence. Like he has to like undo his pants to let the squirrel out. Which I think is funny. Because he says, uh, yeah, I apologize. Yeah, yeah. That's even like a little bit of a... You're saying a little risque? Yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah, and I think, you know... I, I I also like that there's like a like the fifth plot in this movie, which is never remarked upon and, and barely just, just sort of weird. We just sort of mm-hmm. find out about the end. Is that like Aniston and Connick are like... Oh, yeah. They, 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 they want to fuck oh, and then yeah. they start fucking and oh, then yeah. they get married. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, he's dead. <laughs> Ben Cole. Oh, no, that was Pacino. <laughs> Somebody say my name. I've been no. bleeding out in this corner for months. Oh, no, you go back to... Somebody get me a mattress. Go back to... Attica! Attica! Oh, my God. Hey, guys, I miss anything? Yeah, you're, you're all right. All right, uh, but anyway, yeah. Um, that's that that opening sequence sort of laying everything out. Uh, oh, Garth. Yeah. Uh, mischievous. Mom, frustrated. Yeah. Dean... Caught in the middle. I don't know. And let's say the setup of this movie and, and the movie as a whole, very spielberg Yeah. He was a guy who was in the Spielberg circuit for a long time. No, it's very Amblin, that idea yeah. of like you play in the woods and like you sort of, you know, right. ha- have this rich inner sort of, you know, life. And, and I think Brad Bird kind of is a, a cynical Steven Spielberg. Sure. 
he is a Steven Spielberg with a m- far more complicated view of humanity. Right. Some might call him Randian. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get into that. Well, I'm going to fight that. We'll I, get into. I it. have a far more. We're going to get into. I do too. But yeah. we'll get into that in the next episode because that's not that doesn't touch this one. Really. But I watched the Spielberg uh, documentary. I had not seen it. I've seen that twice. I watched it twice. <sighs> Great. Congratulations. Thanks. I guess you're twice Finally, as good Finally, I'm as getting me. credit for watching that documentary twice. Yeah, there you go. How many times have you seen it, Ben? I wasn't listening. See, that's a brave stance. <laughs> you want to see a real hero who's not looking for laudits? <laughs> and they say that a hero can save us. Not gonna stand him Wow, Jack Kroger. What a great get for this and episode. And Josie Wells. Both. <laughs> We're just featuring him. Um... They, I think it's Kathy Kennedy has a line where she talks about how like they're talking about the period where everyone was slamming on Spielberg sure. for being too uh, optimistic mm-hmm. and too um, sentimental. And she went like, look, it's not a craven thing. That's who he is. Right. I think Steven genuinely sees the best in people. And I think he can genuinely he believes that he can will the world into being the place he wants it to be. Uh huh. And Brad Bird has a far more complicated relationship, but on a on a semiotic level, Brad Bird sees the world as a prison yes. that is constraining him. A great artist. That is my take on him more than like he's a Randian. I agree, but uh, I do. I cannot deny that after making two movies in a row, where people are like, oh, "You kind of have this like objectivist sort of strain to you." Right. He was like, "No, no, 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 no." Anyway, here's my passion project. It's about this uh, secret world where all the world's geniuses go because Earth uh, is like too bad for them. But they're okay. too good for Earth. But here's here's because I'll tie right into this movie. Okay. Yeah. People tag him with objectivism, which I think is wrong. Uh-huh. I think he is obsessed with exceptionalism. Sure. And yes. I think because of his difficult struggle finding a footing in animation for years after people had told him he was the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he knew he had the right instincts, but people were telling him to settle for less. Yeah, or like this isn't commercial or whatever. Right, or who cares? We don't have to work this hard. Yeah. Um, I, I think he's very obsessed with the idea of responsibility mm. and the people who are capable of doing power, powerful things, having responsibility to do the right thing with that power, which is what this movie is really about. Cool. Uh, that's a fine read. I, I wrote a whole really long article about his Randianism. Again, I want to plug it God, on the you Atlantic. Want a fucking what? A trophy? I mean, I, I mean a about medal? how? I mean, in which I was saying I, I was arguing against the idea that he's Randian yeah. uh, in political belief or whatever. Uh, yeah. Uh, cool. So uh, uh, Dean lets a squirrel out of his pee pee hole and runs around, and the mom gets upset. Yes, that's right. And, uh, but you know, there's, I, again, I like the economy of the storytelling. Like I like that we just sort of get his relationship with his mother immediately without any sort of like sad stories of like a lost dad or whatever. And that's another thing that's Spielberg too, is the missing dad, no dad. Um, and, uh, he, he just gave me a thumbs up cause he's, he's eating his cheese. I'm eating dick. my cheese dick, my yeah. cheddar bagel twist. Um, cheese dick. That's a six cents, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, and so the next, because when he meets the giant is he's at home alone, mm-hmm. watching scary movies, eating Twinkies because his mom's working like a double shift or whatever. He has whipped cream mirror and he, he sprays it, it into, into the, the Twinkie. Twinkie. It's really, yeah. it's pretty cool. Yeah. How do you feel about that, Ben? Are you Twinkie ghost? Yeah, it's no, a little gross. I don't like Twinkies. I kind of like Twinkies. I don't like whipped cream. So like, it's like too much. Like, you yeah. know. Yeah. I but mean, it's like a childish, you know, when you were a kid where you're like, what if I like do this? Is that what, like, like food? Like whippets, <laughs> you're saying? <laughs> 
No. Oh. I mean, like when you're a kid and you're like, what if I just like put mayonnaise on bread and ate it? Like, is that food? Like right. no one would ever oh. let me do that. And then you do it and you're like, uh, I think this is bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you know? And he's home alone like most nights. Yes. So he's got to experiment. He's got to try different things. Right. And, but then he, the giant, he's, he meets the giant. Right, right. He goes, how, do, how does he? Uh, leads well, him to the woods in the first. Well, it's a uh, the the sig. His antenna is right. broken, so he goes out to fix it, and then he sees like something right, in the distance. Right, 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 right. He loses his TV reception. So he he takes his bike and his BB gun and his like helmet with his gog. You know, like he like ready for adventure. And right, he goes and meets this giant Iron Man uh, who's at the subs the electrical substation, and right. it's like he gets caught up. Uh, right. For he's trying to he eats metal. He loves metal. Sure. Uh, it's like his food. Yeah. And he gets, yeah, he gets tangled in the powers and Hogarth saves him. And that's, you know. Uh, yes. Hogarth flips the switch, lets him out, goes, oh, you look a lot like Vin Diesel. <laughs> oh, and also, right. And then that's when he then, no, or is it the next time they hang out that he eats the railroad tracks? Or is it all in one? No, that's the no. next time. Yeah, because first time. is the power station. And then, like, the giant comes back to him and says, like, you saved my life. But he eats half the BB gun. Yes. The remnants there left on the ground. So hog, now, hug. now it says hog hug. Yeah. Um, oh, no, she is widowed. Interesting. I, I don't really pick up on that. I guess it's like. I think it's more inferred. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. But like, mm-hmm. that's that's the giant likes him now. Saved his life. Yes. Uh, he goes home. He's terrified. Sure. And then we're introduced to Manly around this Point. Well, oh, yeah, because oh, Manly's already... been called in to investigate. Well, there's the the M.M. at Walsh is the right. sailor being like, oh, giant middle man. And then there's that scene I fucking love right before the squirrel crawls up Dean's leg where they're making fun of him. Sure. M.M. at Walsh. Yeah. And he goes, like, like, hey, he's not crazy. I saw him too. Yeah. Dean's like, uh, right. Yeah. Right. Trying to stick and up Hogarth's for him. like, you saw him too? And he's like, no, but come on. I mean, if we don't stand up for the crazy people, who will? Right. Which, Which is I great. Love. Yeah. yeah. He rules. Yeah. He's a cool beatnik he's my friend black. he wears all black he has like cool little boots you know like heeled boots a perfect soul patch he's got a soul patch he's got black sunglasses he drinks espresso oh my God, which is like God. very cool for yeah. like 1957 or whatever yeah. he's also he's so handsome he's hot he's like, like can we talk about it hot animated he's really character hot. I just kept on being he's like, hotter than Harry Connick Jr. Oh yeah! Like if I was Harry Connick Jr., Very I'd be like, so. oh, va va boom. Yeah, yeah. I, who are you? <laughs> and Harry's like me, and I'm like, no, that guy you're voicing. Ooh, uh, um, I think in general, the obviously the animation of this movie is beautiful, but yeah. I think that the faces are so good. To help me with this. Yes, I think there's the, something about the faces. I'll tell you the thing that I think pushes this movie over the top. I I think the performances in it are incredible. I think it's some of the yes, best great, great voice acting. animation acting. No, but I'm oh, saying but you're even, saying right. The, the, like the yes. animation itself, the performances. Yes. 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 And they're I, so expressive. The yes. faces, even though the animation is very simple. Right. Yeah. But I, but I also think that has to do with the fact that he was giving the animators scenes rather than characters because so much of it is the interplay between the characters together. Right. The way people say that acting is reacting. Right. It's about how all the different characters are behaving in one scene together that are that scene is now under one person's purview. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a beautifully designed movie and uh, really great performances, but it's also a movie of a lot of restraint. Sure. sure. You know, it, yeah. it's, it's not symphonic. It's actually a pretty small story 
and it's comfortable with long stretches of silence. Yeah, you know? that's true. It's a very small story. The characters don't over-explain themselves. It's a boy and his rubber. They don't, and also they become friends sort of without us even seeing it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, he, he just sort of assumes that we'll get, like, uh, that their relationships are deepening. Yes. Because, like, it's like, you know, we go from Dean not knowing about the giant to Dean seeing the giant to him, the three of them just sort of hanging out all the time. Right. You know, like without any fuss. Right. So there have been called in reports about this Iron Man. Uh, sure. And Manning is then sent to investigate. They're all from Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> right? Ben's like James. Good. Um, he goes to the site. Oh, I was looking up uh, uh, Darger. You know that Henry artist? Darger? Yeah. I was just wondering if, um, yeah, his uh, manuscript could be turned into an animated film. <laughs> cool. Are you going to buy the rights, Ben? Why did that occur to you? For our nascent blank check pictures single? Yeah, totally. Why did that occur to me? Yeah. Uh, I don't mean this in an aggressive way. I'm just asking. Ben's getting into the acquisition business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm always like looking for my next R- hustle. R- and R&D. I, just, I was like, IP. Wait, Darn, ben wants to collect IP. This is the moment. Get yeah. Roger Daltrey on board. Okay. 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 And so uh, the Iron Giant is mm-hmm. uh, in this movie. Yeah. So then, wait. So what happens that Manning goes well, to we the have site, Manning, He finds the gun. A hilarious character. Yeah. Please, can we talk about him for a you second? You want to know the best thing about Christopher McDonald? Sure. Do you know that there were three made-for-TV sequels to Midnight Run okay. that were only about... The Jack character, the Robert De Niro character. Oh, sure. Right. In which Christopher McDonald replaced Robert De Niro. I did not know that. Just him as a sad bounty hunter. Uh, were they on, they were made for TV? Yeah, I think USA or TNT. Another Midnight Run. Uh-huh. Midnight Run Around. <laughs> and Midnight Run for Your Life. Those were the names Thank of those uh, made for TV movies. That's a weird replacement for De Niro, though, right? Sure. Yes. Yeah. Jack Walsh. Yes. Definitely a weird replacement for De Niro. Was he doing it like De Niro, though? Uh, I don't no, know. He just looks like, I mean, I think he was just doing Christopher McDonald. Catching bail jumpers, Jack Walsh is the fastest in the business. Holding right, on I mean, to them is another story. There's nothing really wrong with like a bail bondsman TV show or whatever. Maybe plenty of stories you could do yeah. there. But it's also or a like, bounty hunter or whatever. It it's is. not like, oh, he has to team up with the Duke again. It's like, no, he's just he's just a once again a a bounty hunter collecting people. Well, so in The Iron Giant, his character is like how would you he's it's a like pencil. a Frankenstein. Yeah, he looks like a pencil. He's got this like crazy long chin. He's got John Kerry head. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh he's a parody of like a G-Man. He's got like yeah. a pipe and he talks in the, he's got a raincoat, talks in this like really slick way. He's got such a good voice, McDonald's. Such a good voice. Yeah. I also just a wonderful performance. Like yes. almost all yeah. the ways he delivers his line, you right. know, when he's being like mean at first, mm-hmm. where he's like making fun of the yokels mm-hmm. and then his car has been like bitten in half. So he uh, believes in it all right. of a sudden. Now right. needs the people he was just mocking to back him up. Uh, and then the whole thing where he's visiting Hogarth's home and he's like, hey, hey uh, uh, what's uh, what, uh, Kent Mansley work for the government? You know, yeah. like his. Hug, hug. Yeah. Uh, how you doing, sport? How you doing? Like uh, that like montage of him calling him all the names. Slick like, slugger. It's, it's good acting, acting. Yeah. Like he gives it's a good performance acting. as someone who is trying to sell himself as something different than what he is. It is also, it's one of uh, 
many red-haired characters in Brad Bird's movies, and I've always wanted to dig into what that's about. One of many red-haired villains, and yeah. such a good villain in general. Because like yeah. the whole movie, the, the the crux of the ending of the movie is that he's a he makes this like sort of arrogant, cowardly thing where he yeah. grabs the mic and yeah. he says, blow him up. Like, that's it. He thinks it's a hero moment. He dooms us all. Right. And it's like, what a, f- what a funny hero, or like a, a funny, weird, not funny, yeah. haha, to like center your kid's animated movie around. Yeah. You know? Because like at the end of the movie, it's basically like everyone settles down and it's like, no, I get it. He's fine. We don't have to do anything. Like, I get it now. The Iron Giant's cool. And he just like flips out and he's like, no, like he's not cool. And like, it's just vanity so, and like closed mindedness. Like this, you know, the things he's trying to talk about in fifties America. When they started working on the movie, he was getting pitches all the time from Warner executives being like, can there be a dog? <laughs> the the dog is the funniest part. They wanted like a, you know, like a funny dog to like, you know, <laughs> be like a cartoon sidekick. That makes me laugh. I mean, that's like. <laughs> Ben's into it. I like that. Ben's laughing at the notion of a funny dog. <laughs> hey, Ben, like, what if there was, like, a dog? Just think about that. Well, no, all right. Wait, wait a second, Ben. The dog's a little funny. <laughs> yeah, it has jokes and stuff? <laughs> yeah. It's like Grover um, Dangerfield. They, I love that. They also wanted the film to be set in the present day, which uh-huh. is bonkers. Yeah. And they wanted a hip-hop soundtrack. Yes, they did. Which is hilarious. Yes, they did. Okay. Uh, what What else? Did you, were you thinking of anything else? Uh, those are the big ones. But, but a couple things happened, okay? Sure. One is that uh, with animation, a lot of the time spent is cracking story and making it perfect because it's very expensive to reanimate. You don't have time yes. to figure stuff out on the fly the way you kind of can on set. Um, so animation films usually take three or four years, and the first half of that at least is just cracking the story before you even start animating. Uh, and in the time that they were working on the storyboards, Quest for Camelot came out. Right. Did really badly. Really badly. And Warners were sort of going like, oh, maybe we don't want to be in the animation game. And so they shorter shut everything down and there wasn't really oversight. So they were like, look, we're going to be the last movie made under Warner Brothers Animation. We get to just do whatever we want. Right. The The struggle is we don't have time or money, but they- But no one's going to bug us. Yeah. So they stopped bugging him and that right. is why I think this Manning such character a special exists. special movie. Right. Yeah. Right. In such a pure form without becoming- more villainous, more over or the top, more or more yes, yes. He is like, funny, but yes. in any other movie, he would be a total klutz and an idiot. Yes, or he would be a psychopath, right? And instead, he's a a, a weak man. You know what I mean? Like he is. I yes, you know and, we and agree. What is more villainous than that? Exactly. He is like yes. America's America. Nineteen fifties America's work. He's cowardly. He's quick to judgment. Yeah, he is arrogant yes. about his own like place in the world. Mm-hmm. Um. And then, of course, when he gets in trouble, he's just like, ah, fuck it, and like tries to run away. Right. Uh, he's a great character. So then the second night, Hug Hug goes out looking for the Iron Giant again, right? Oh, sure. We're going back to that. Yeah, well, yeah. He f- meets him again. Well, the giant finds him, tosses yep. the switch at his feet right. to say, like, you saved, you saved me. me. Uh, and then he eats the railroad, so he has to, like, fix the railroad and he's all a suddenly. He's, he's trying, trying to get to right. line up. Just so he, right. he gets hit by the train and like knocked all over the place. So we see that he can like fix himself. Uh, yeah, which and, is so well. Which is awesome. And then that's when Hogarth and it's hides him in the barn. Great image when his like, I love that each part of his body kind of operates like its own creature. 
So the way like his arm will be like dragging itself along. Yeah. Like some weird kind of snake, you know? But then there's, and then his hand runs like a spider. Right, because yeah. there's that sequence later where he's at home house. and he yeah. realizes the hand is stuck in the home and he's saying grace and talking to the hand at the same time. I think that's really funny. Yeah. And get out of here, Satan. Satan. Uh, do you know who designed the Iron Giant? Joe Johnston. Oh, interesting. But he was already like a... Yes, he was. But so he just designed like the the look of the guy. Like he he wasn't there on set every day or whatever, was he? He didn't animate it. Right, yeah. But but he designed the giant. Sorry. Joe Johnson, who directed Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, of course. The Rocketeer. The Rocketeer. Captain but, America 1. Yes, but was Jurassic Park 3. A, a Spielberg Lucasy guy, designed yes. both. Worked Fett, on Star Wars. Very big in the Star yeah. Wars films. Is kind of one of the best uh, character designers in uh, history. And uh, Brad Bird, as a favor, was like, look, we can't crack this sign. Can you come up with something? He also made that indie movie that was like, like that launched the Welcome to the Jungle franchise. You know? You know what I mean? Like that. We, you remember? You know, everyone oh. knows America's most popular movie, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. You should talk about the prequel to Jumanji Yeah, but there's Welcome this like the little scene prequel to it starring like Robin Williams. What do they fucking do for the third movie now that Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle has become the highest grossing movie in history? Well, just name an, I don't know, like... VR. Right. Is know. it a f- fucking app now? Yeah, it's an Oculus Rift. Is it an emoji? Yeah, you're an app. I'm an app now. You you you, tur- you, you go see the movie and it makes you an app. Yeah. And it says, but also, fuck you. They've like written themselves into a bad corner where it's like, ah, everyone loves these four big stars we put in our movie right. who are fictional avatars for the character right. in a From version a, that gets destroyed. A distra- fictional vintage arcade game that can't be played again. That is smashed to pieces at the end of the first movie. Spoiler right. alert. Yes. And or, also- was it? Oh. Also, Colin Hanks named his daughter after the cartoon avatar he wanted to have sex with in the movie? Yeah. What? Look. He did what? David, there's one rule Do you think life. his wife was like, why did you pick that name? And he's like, yeah, no reason. There is good name. one rule not- in life. You always name your firstborn child after the person you want to have sex with most but didn't in life. Uh, oh, I see. Right. Always. Okay. Always. Okay. Not creepy, especially not for a Jumanji sequel. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Uh, the Iron Giant. Can we talk about that? Yeah. So he's a perfectionist. He derails the train. He comes back together. Mm. Um, and his hand goes in the house for a while. But the, if, quickly enough, Hogarth reveal, realizes we got a problem, moves him to the barn, Dean's barn. Yes. Like that's, 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 that's how they meet Dean. He needs him to hang out in Dean's barn because Dean is an industrial artist who has a ton of metal in his barn. Right. And Dean buys the half eaten tractor off of uh, the crazy farmers. Yes. uh, Because he wants to use it for art. But isn't that why the giant is, is close to Dean anyway? Because he sees all this metal and he's like fucking buffet. Yes. Look at this. Yes. I'm at like a Shoney's here. I guess he hides him in his own barn first because his family has a barn. Right. Right. Isn't that when he does the, uh, the, the scene with the comic books? Shows a Mad Magazine. And shows him uh, Atomo. Atomo, who's a bad robot. Metal Menace. No good, very bad, don't do it. And Superman. Very good. Yes, yes, do do it. <laughs> right. And they talk about having a soul. And choosing to do the right thing. And doing the right thing. And uh, he says, I, Superman. And he takes and a he shirt off because it's a Vin Diesel movie. And he puts an S. His shirt's never been on. And he puts an S on his chest. It's so pantsless, this movie. Yeah, which is, is Vin Diesel will do that in any movie. Right. <laughs> do you know Vin Diesel has never worn pants on camera? If you see him wearing pants, it's, it's CGI. It's CGI. <laughs> wow. What a fact. What a fact. Everyone who's ever worked on a Vin Diesel movie has seen Vin Diesel's butt and, and, and penis. 
Vin Diesel butt and penis. Vin Diesel's butt and penis. No, I like it without the possessive. Anyone who ever worked on a Vin Diesel movie, see Vin Diesel butt and penis. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, All right. This is the worst. This is the number one worst episode, wow. right? It's yeah. crazy. We did it. We did it. No, this is actually a good episode when you think about it. When we think about it, yeah, when you think about it, it's actually really take good. Take a break and think about it. Yeah, it's actually really good. Maybe you'll be like, yeah, that's why we need a break. <laughs> <laughs> we got to loosen up. Uh, well, I mean, we're, we're moving quickly through the movie because it's a short, simple movie. Yeah. I mean, it's not like we're like rushed for time on the movie itself. Do you think when this episode comes out, it will bomb really hard, but then like 15 years later, People, everyone will accept that it's a family classic? Yeah, and then like Steven Spielberg will make a, another movie in which this features. Insane. We'll get to that. No, we've talked about that. And we're going to talk about it more. No, we've talked about that. Yeah, and we're going to talk about it more. Okay, fair enough. I'm just saying, this episode's posting in mid-May. Oh, yeah. Ready Player One is a a six-week-old movie at this point. Okay, so then, never mind, we're not going to talk about it Probably not. I forgot we've done a whole episode already on it. Well, we haven't yet, but we will in the future. Jesus Christ. Wow, it's like predestination. You ever think about that shit? Like yeah, destiny versus free will. Yeah, he yes. definitely has. <laughs> of course. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, so, it's like, what is there to talk about? I mean, but but the, yes, Dean. Dean. We should just talk about the things we like, like right. the scenes we like. Right. Dean. Uh, yes. Dean. Dean. Dean's uh, such a cool dude. Yeah. He's just so good looking. He's got such a great jawline. He does. He's got a great jawline. Yeah, and the smoky eyes. Honestly, and if I lived in the fifties, like. Being a junk artist, oh, pretty yeah. cool. That's in like, like rural Maine, out of yeah. all the occupations you could have, yeah. at that time, and pretty you cool. got a motorcycle, yes, and an espresso machine, and an espresso, and, and the, hots, the Hotsford J. Aniston, and Suglas. He's got nice Suglas, Suglasses, yes. sunglasses. Um, like the two plots of the movie at this point are. Hogarth trying to avoid Kent because Kent like is living with them. Starts boarding. Right. Because he's like trying to solve the mystery of the metal man. Because he finds the hog hog gun. Hog hog. Hog hog. Right. And so he, right. So he knows something's up with Hogarth. He's trying to catch him. And Jeff Aniston says like, oh yeah, Hogarth's been weird lately. He keeps on talking about this giant metal man. I also love that scene where he's trying to push the hand out the window and he's making all the noises. Yeah. And they're like outside the door when they bust in. in, He's he's pretending to take a poop. That's true. He's pretending to take one poop. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that did it. Now it's the worst. Now episode. it's the number one worst. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ben. Uh, let's 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 talk about one of our friends today. Uh, you know, these guys are for hymns. You know, they're for the boys. Oh, they're definitely for the boys. So let's talk like boys for a second about a problem that sixty six percent of men have, which is that they lose their hair by age thirty five. And the thing is, when you start to notice hair loss, it's too late. I, yeah, I don't mean to, you know, I don't mean to bring it up, but, you, you know, you've, you're a little thinner on top than you used to be. Oh, yeah, I've noticed. <laughs> and I wish I had done something sooner, David. Well, a lot of guys turn to weird solutions or they do nothing when they could turn to medicine and science to deal with this. Okay, I'm listening. So if you go to forhims.com. It's a one-stop shop for hair loss, for skincare, for sexual wellness for men. All these issues that you might be, you know, ignoring or not thinking about. So I'm scratching my mostly bald head. You are. I can confirm um, for the listener. And, and So you're saying thanks to science, baldness can be optional? Yeah. Basically, they connect you to real doctors with medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss. There's no waiting room. There's no awkward doctor visits. You save hours. You just go to 4 So order now. 
our listeners can get a trial month of hymns for just $5 today right now while supplies last. So you can see the website for full, full details. It would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. So wait, it, do I have to go to the, like a waiting room and then like right, have this see, weird chat with yeah, a doctor? It, and, it's nothing. There's no doctor visits. They ain't awkward over at 4 You just go to 4 slash check. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash check for hymns.com slash check. That's so easy. And then, it's real easy. And then like, are the products, are they labeled like the box is like bald dude stuff? <laughs> is that what it says on the box? I, I haven't, I mean, particularly seen that box, but probably right. I mean, you know, bald or, dude stuff. Or yeah. is it maybe discreet? <laughs> no, no, no. I think, I think it just says in loud, big letters. Oh no, you're right. I think, you know what? They are discreet. Good. Now that you bring it up, I think that it's just not awkward at all. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to be embarrassed when I go into the lobby of my apartment building and pick and it's up like, your bald dude stuff box. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. It's all. It's all very simple and easy, and like it's just avoid all this sort of weird embarrassment of these this stuff. Wow. All right. So just making sure I got this right. That's f o r h i m s dot com slash check. Yes, for hims dot com slash check. Cool. All right. Back to this bad episode. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great episode. All right, and, and then right, and then the other thing is him hanging with Dean and the, the Iron Giant the Kids Club, yeah, uh, and they're just being cool, like yeah. they 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 go swimming, nice chill friends. Uh, he does cannonball. Oh, that's I mean that's a really good, it is fun, great, awesome, loved, <laughs> best, amazing, so good part. <laughs> it of is the movie, the cannonball. Wait, ben, I don't get it. Keep going. <laughs> it's it's surprising. It's <laughs> electrified. It leaves you wanting more. True. It is uh, nice, fun, and friends are good. Yes. Part it is of the nice, movie. fun, and friends are a good part of the movie. Put and that on a t-shirt. The splash is so big, uh, we just put it on a baseball cap. The splash is so big that it sends Dean into the middle of the road. Yes. And the guy goes, you're in the middle of the road. And he goes, yeah. yeah. Say, say. Well, no, now I feel like I'm going to fuck up the line. No, just it. say something else to me. You know, it's like you're in the middle of the road. And then he goes, Yeah. You have to say something. Um, how are you doing? Yeah. It's funny. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it is. Yeah. But somewhere around here, we're, we're getting the order of all this shit wrong. Not really? But but they're in the woods in what feels like the most Disney-ish section of the movie, the sort of idyllic, sun-drenched forest walk where they come across a deer mm. and Vin Diesel is very taken by it, sort of gets down on one knee. Likes the deer. Right. They hear people coming. Right. They hide. Deer gets shot. Boom. It's Maine. People are hunting. And he sees this Rural Maine. dead deer there and he tries to pick it up. Yeah. Weekend at Bernie's it with his hand. That's uh, the um, the quote we did at the top Souls of the episode where they're talking about, right, the, uh, will I, he's like, will I die, you know, or will you die? So they said. Hogarth's pretty real in that scene. That was He's their, like, I'm going to yeah. die. I, Hogarth Hughes, will die. Yeah. Uh, that was, they said their biggest struggle in writing was they need the scene where the Iron Giant learned about uh, death. Sure. And originally it was supposed to be that the Iron Giant killed the deer accidentally. Sure, sure. Sort of Frankenstein monster Right, that was right. their exact yeah. notion. I don't like that. And they said the problem was when they did that scene, they couldn't believably have the Iron Giant get over it. 
Yeah. Right, right. It'd be too too upsetting if he did it himself. For the rest of the movie, he I was. think it's better this Not way the anyway. The audience couldn't get over it. The Iron Giant as a character yeah. wouldn't forgive himself and yeah. would just be down in the dumps for the rest of the movie. No, I think also it just is stupid because I think what's more important is that he's grasping with a concept, not like his own monstrousness. Right, and, and the gun thing, underlying the gun thing, yes, right. really. I am not a gun. I'm not a gun. Welcome to Down Down Coolsville, population us. That's something Hogarth says? Uh, yes. Did you watch the uh, signature edition or the? I did. I watched the signature edition, which has that dream, right? Yes. That is that the only addition to the movie. It's the only thing to me that I did not remember from like the original. I think there's one other scene between Dean and Aniston. Maybe. Maybe it's when she's complimenting the art in the barn. No. Then no, no. I think it's earlier when he's back at the diner. And she says, I have the right to refuse service. Yes. That wasn't in the movie. Yes. I don't. Those I, are the only two that were added. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. The dream sequence is not necessary, in my opinion. They were new animated sequences 15 minutes later. And Brad Bird says. 13 years later. Uh, yeah. Sorry. 15 minutes. Uh, uh, Brad Bird says that, like, he doesn't consider director's cut. He's happy with the version. He sure. wanted to do the dream sequence because he thought it was a cool opportunity to do, like, very extreme abstract expressionist yes. imagery. Right. Um, and so when Warner Brothers came to him and they were like, we want to do something, is there anything new you'd want to add in? Right. He took the opportunity, but he doesn't think sure. it's more his version of the movie with it in. But not. I do have the signature Blu-ray, so yes. My brother owns the um, the soundtrack on vinyl. My brother is a huge Brad Bird okay. obsessive. Yeah. Uh, I got him into Brad Bird. We saw this movie together uh-huh. uh, in theaters, and mm-hmm. we would watch this and The Incredibles and Ratatouille over and over a lot. Yeah. Good movies. Yeah. Uh, good movies all. Sure. Um, and Mission Impossible. Okay. Well, now you're just fucking bragging. This is you once Why again you trying looking to make for this, awards. It's already the worst episode. Why are you trying to make it worse? I think people wish we fought more. <laughs> really? Yeah. Are you serious or are you doing another I bit? I don't know. At this point, <laughs> honestly, I don't know. Okay. Iron Giant has this nightmare depending on which version you watch sure in which he sees these images of himself becoming a horrible right. monster yeah that's why i think you should not have that sequence because i think it's scarier when he just does it i agree yeah, yeah is the sequence then saying basically they're from like, like he's from somewhere else he's from somewhere else he's but, a weapon from space yeah. right okay and he's just a planet destroyer he's at least like a tank destroyer i mean this guy can do some damage essentially okay but when he lands on earth he gets this dent in his head. Yeah, he's got the little bump in his head, so he doesn't like remember how to work. Yeah, okay. and he uh, first like shows sign of trouble when um, Kogarth is pretending to shoot him with his ray gun. Right, right. When they're playing by the water, Iron Giant's uh, eyes go red, and he shoots like a ray at him, but like Hogarth misses it because he's like ducking down. And then when he does it again, Dean like saves him. The, so Dean's yeah. the one who figures out like, oh God, this guy, like you can't point a gun at him. Right. He he viewed it as a threat. The design is so good because his face is so fucking simple and it, they get so much out of it. It's so sweet though. Like yeah. that the thing early where he smiles, yeah. like is you, you love him. He's got these right. like big open eyes and like a, a, his face is a smile. Right. Like because his jaw is separate the from the rest his of his body. His jaw is just a hinge and his and his jaw is in like a smile shape. Two yeah. big lights. But right. then Brad Bird was like, A, I can have the eyes change color. Right. And B, you can have them narrow. I can give lids on the yes. top and bottom. And C, I can have the jaw also work on like a Y axis in <laughs> right. addition to an X axis so it can shift around. Um, you get a lot out of him. He does, he does kind of look like Van Diesel. A little bit. And I also feel like the way his uh, top. It's a wonderful ha- design. He's so top heavy. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? His legs are kind of sticky. Yes. Yeah. He's a big torso with these sort of stick limbs. Yeah. I want to find the Ted Hughes drawing because it's so different. Yes. 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 It's very odd. And the Um, animation they show in the giant stream of like the concept reel for the um, Townsend version is so fucking ugly. It's insane. Sure. Yeah. Um, I like the scene. I before, we're we're getting to the ending now, so I yeah. just want I like the scene where Hogarth drinks the espresso and goes on a crazy monologue. I think Eli Morenthal is wonderful in this movie. I do too. It's such a honest performance. Like yes. it's like it's a great kid performance that doesn't feel like so many animated kid performances, which are like oh mom, you know, like really yeah. really over the top. Okay. I I think this movie- like when he says I love you at the end, which is obviously a big line. Yeah, like. It just feels like very normal and human, like not like sort of sickly or sort of over the top. Agreed, which I I think that's a big thing in this movie is that the characters never uh, dip into caricature. Sure. Um, It is a very character-based film that has these sort of subtler moments to build an arc rather than having to take these huge uh, swings at a sort of hypermanic pace. Oh, there's um, also that scene where he gets in the car and the Iron Giant spins him around. It's a lot of fun. Super cool. A lot of fun. Great time. Great to have show. a friend who's a massive robot. A nice space friend, you could say. Um, yeah. Brad Bird animated the coffee scene himself. Oh, really? He said he always likes to animate one scene himself so he remembers what, you know. Sure. He gets back in the thick of it. Right. And he said, like, that was the scene that if I was working on a movie, I would have died to get a sign because it's all performance. Sure. It's sure, all sure. comedy through behavior and physicality. Yeah. And it's like fucking, it's great. It's great. It's great. Um, but there's the scene around then, I guess, when uh, they think they figured it out where the giant is, tracked it back to Dean's. Right. Kurt Kent's on the tail, uh, on the trail. Manning. And uh, they pretend that the Iron Giant's a sculpture. Now, this is very funny comedy. Kent Mansley. But- Jesus Christ. But you're right, where uh, they're like, show us what's in the barn. What's in the barn, Dean? I've been saying the wrong name the entire episode. No, you just said it went wrong one time. I thought I said Manning the whole time. No, I think he's been saying Mansley. Kent Mansley. You've been saying Mansley. Where's the government? Really? Yeah. yeah. Are you sure we don't have to re-record the whole episode? I've been calling her Crandall. It's one of my favorite Simpsons line. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Krabappel, I've been calling her Crandall. Did you read, this will be... <laughs> Such a weird line. 17 years old by the time this episode comes out, but I read the New York Magazine interview with Zach Galifianakis the other day. No, I haven't read it. No, and he what? was like, you know, I'm happy with my career now. I don't need to do these big <laughs> movies. I'm happy just making buckets. Sure. <laughs> he says buckets. And the, and like whoever the interviewer is said like, I was trying to figure out if he knew he made a mistake. And then he just looked back at me and said, that's what my parents think it's called. <laughs> <laughs> season four of Buckets. Season three. Three, I think. Yeah. But even so that he's gotten three seasons out of that is crazy. I love that show. It's a great show, but like, I think like eight people watch Yeah, it. that's a real blank check. It's like Galifianakis' parents, you, yeah. me, <laughs> maybe Zach himself. I don't think his parents watch it. I don't know what's fucking called. Fair enough. It's so good, that show. It is great. Um, so, mm. they pretend the Iron Giant is art. And uh, Aniston comes in and goes like, you know, I'm not crazy about that piece. It feels like those scraps you put over like his limbs feels a little less intentional than some of your other stuff. So she's kind of got an eye for what he's doing. Right. And he's got an eye for her. Right. And she's also got an eye for him. Uh, As as do I. Yeah. (laughs) I've got an eye for Harry Connick Jr. Uh, in this movie. She wants him to uh, let the squirrel out of his fly if you catch my drift. (laughs) 
Sure. Excuse me for uh, yes. worst yeah. episode worst ever. Number one, <laughs> number one worst. So bad. We're gonna win a Razzie. Yep. The the, the sponsors are gonna call us and be like, "What the? F- how could you put our names on that thing?" Good thing the sponsor Angry. is the Razzies. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's another perfect Simpsons line. Yeah. That's not the image we want with Long John for Long John Silvers. <laughs> Murderous pirate. <laughs> Let's just do Simpsons lines now. I mean, Bird worked on The Simpsons. Yes. Uh, so then when does Mansley get his... He's he's putting me on track. No, Mansley what? what now? When, when does he get his proof where he's able to call it? Because he calls his superior early on in the film, played by... Um, uh, uh, John Mahoney. Mahoney. Uh, yeah, he gets the picture. He finds the camera. Right, but early on, he's like... Yeah, he calls him and, he, and the guy's laughing at him, basically saying like, yeah, give me a footprint. Right. You know, I can get you a scientist. I can't You're, go off of a feeling. If you give me a picture or like, you know, a piece of the guy, then right. we can send in some army troops. Because, yeah, this this film is about sort of like atomic age fears. Yes. They you think, see those cartoons of the, uh, the duck, and duck and cover drills. Which are so good. Which are so good. And yeah. like, it's crazy to think that like my mom went through those when they were like, it's fine. Just get under your desk. Like if right. we get you nuked in Utica, New York, you know? Like, and there's that great moment at the end where he's like, that's not going to help anything. Yeah. Well, that I love that. Yeah. The, it's not just like an aside right. where they're like, that's it. That's mm-hmm. it. And, and even like Harry Connick, you know, even Dean, like the mom's like, should we go to a shelter? And he's like, won't matter. We're fucked. Yeah, yeah. we're going to die. I mean, imagine if America nukes a town in Maine by yeah. mistake. Almost <laughs> happened, if not for a very nice giant. That's true. Um, But he finally gets the photograph. Uh, he gets the photograph. Um, And uh, I think, but it's not, he's not the one who exposes it. It's just that. Um, the after- giant saves the kid. Well, right. It's like after Dean like make, tells the giant to get out of there when he's shooting the ray gun at um, Hogarth and the giant like runs away. Right. And is he that runs, after they've disguised him as the sculpture? Yes. Okay. And he like runs into town and saves the boys. Sees the kids hanging off the side of the building. And, are, and so the townspeople are like, oh, great. Um, but then Kent is like, blow him up. Right. And, the military is already there. And that's when the giant starts like just automatically like wiping them all out, he which is also out. awesome. Yes. When he's shooting fucking raid and all his weapons are different. Like the one that like makes the weird like energy ball. Can that's I, cool. Can I do a merchandise ball? Or the one that's like like that. It's like a oh, spinning the, disc. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's cool. Can I do a merchandise ball? Line? Yeah. I had an Iron Giant action figure from when this movie came out. They did make merchandise that then became super fucking valuable because it wasn't produced in very large quantities and the movie bombed. And then like five, six years later when it was beloved, people wanted to go back and get it. It's hard to get your hands on. And I had an Iron Giant <laughs> that turned into the Bad Giant. Oh. He pushed his head down. The chest opened up. Bad Giant boy. Bad Giant. His hands could Love turn into guns. <laughs> Came with a little Mansley. He's big. It's it, bad. Well, it was little. I mean, it was a toy. Was, okay. Yeah. But could I get like a foot tall Iron Giant? That one is super, super valuable now. Oh, really? There was a crazy big one they made that came with all the supporting characters, human size. You got Dean. You got Hogarth. It was like, I don't know, like 14, 18 inches tall. And it came with scrap metal that he could eat. Cool. Came with some cars and stuff that he could eat and talk. It had the voice of Vinny D. Limited, hard to come by. Mondo, the company that does all the posters and the vinyl releases. No, I know Mondo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. They have recently released this new $300. That's 300 bucks, yeah. But Which this is, is like, that's like the cheap version of the thing you're talking about? 
Well, I think it's pretty the, nice. I think the original one probably goes for that amount now on the secondary market. At the time of its release, it probably went for like forty or fifty dollars. Sure. The Mondo is like the high end adult version. I have heard it is very fragile. Oh, I don't like I've that. debated buying it a couple times. It's I've I've You've talked debated a lot. buying a three hundred dollar toy. As I've said, I'm a blue collar toy collector. <sighs> I don't like to get these fucking upper crust right. caviar and wine toys. Right. I debated it. My great friend Derek Simon, I sure. almost got to him for him for his wedding, and he told me that he thought his wife would divorce him if he received that as a Instant wedding present. Divorce, right? Yes. What did you get him instead? Like a bottle of wine or something. I don't know. Yeah, you just, you just pooped divorce on DVD. Yeah. <laughs> HBO's divorce. I got him the first season of divorce. I bought him a season pass <laughs> on iTunes. That's actually kind of a funny gift to give someone. It'd <laughs> be good. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. good. Hey, you guys out there, you can use that. Can I yep. say something? Uh, spring for the Blu-ray, okay? It's a wedding. <laughs> uh, you know, at least do them the kindness of uh, improved picture quality. I love how we keep finding worse things to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think the 10 worst bits we've ever done are on this episode, and we keep on eating them. Great up. Great up. Um, but but he had up. told me that he was reticent. I, I had offered to buy it for him. He said he We're was still reticent. on the wedding present story. <laughs> because... <laughs> <laughs> you had co-workers who had it and they said it was so fragile it was they didn't even want to you know touch it yeah I mean that would annoy the shit out of me apart. yeah I want it to be robust yeah I want a robust giant I mean he's a fucking giant like yeah. I don't want to be fragile uh, yeah they shoot ta- in this showdown the tank shoot at him and it's like nothing yeah He's like, forget it. So but, he's tazzing out. His eyes are red. He's got fucking gun arms. His and chest Dean's is like laser. screaming like he only reacts if you shoot at him. Stop shooting. You know, like he's like, go fuck yourself. Yeah. And the, the general's into it. And then <laughs> our boy hog hug. Yeah. He gets knocked out. Runs up to the front. Yeah. To try. He's he runs up to him to try and calm him down. He gets knocked out. Giant looks at this. sees a deer situation. Yeah. And he's like, you killed him. And that's when his little head bump goes away and he just turns into like the the metal man. Yeah, uh, what do you like, call it? Uh, right. Atamo, yes. the metal man. Yes. Like basically. Right. Yeah. And just start. And he like almost blows up a battleship mm-hmm. and he only stops because like Hogarth wakes up. Uh, yeah. And, and pleads to him. Yes. You I wonder if I can find bad, the line. Uh, it's, it's bad to kill. Guns kill. And you don't have to be a gun. You are what you choose to be. You choose. Choose. That's no, one, no one should be a gun. You don't have to be a gun. You don't have to be a gun. It's so good. You don't have to. This be a is gun. where I just start like uncontrollably crying, mm-hmm. basically, and then the rest for the rest of like the next ten minutes, whatever's left. Yeah. Uh, so he turns back. And he chills out. The boy's alive. The general's like, "All right, everyone, chill out." This was a, a weird Thursday, but <laughs> I can move on with my life at this. Point. And then Ken, as I already described, grabs, like, grabs the, the mic and says, "Not the nuke." And he's like, you fucking moron. It's really funny. I lo- John Mahoney's really funny where he's yeah. like, uh, where's the nuke going, Kent? It's you know? <laughs> targeted on the giant. Where's the giant, Kent? And Kent's like, sorry. <laughs> he's like, Gilly? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Gilly, Kent. Sorry. Uh, remember when we went from doing our <laughs> own bad bits to stealing bad bits from, from other SNL? people? Yeah. yeah. Great. Uh, so then Kent demands uh, more cowbell and <laughs> <laughs> they're all going to die. They're all going to die. And the giant realizes what he has to do. He thinks of the image of Superman. Yes. Flying to save the people. Right. And and he he flies up into the sky. Uh, yes. Uh, before he does that, does he doesn't he say something to um... he says smell you later. <laughs> 
<laughs> is what that is right? Is that something nice to Hogar, right? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to find the exact. Yeah, right. I go, you stay. No following. It's a repeat of something they said earlier. Right. It's um, it's kind of the uh, I fix as well. He like looks up and he goes, I fix, which I love. It's the inverse of the the Wreck It Ralph ending, Ben, because at the end, Wreck It Ralph, he's flying down with his fist, saying right. it's okay that I'm bad, mm-hmm. and Iron Giant's flying up with his fist, saying I want to be good. Sure. It's about a bad boy realizing he's good and a good boy realizing he's bad and both of them have to punch a thing in a direction. Both are great movies. Both have good ends. Yeah. Yeah. And both have are about big things, big people. Yeah. Friends with little people. But the giant's bigger. And that's okay. Because again, the the big people are represented and you should have little people represented. Oh, interesting. So you like, well, it's good to have both because then you can tell how big the people well, are. Well, because that's the thing. <laughs> if everyone's big, then it doesn't, it doesn't look like... It doesn't look like anything. There's no scale. Yeah, sure. Right, right. Sure. Um, but yeah, he flies up. He's Superman. I'm like, like at, even like whenever I saw this movie in theaters, like at 13, like I'm like yeah. uncontrollably sobbing. Right. Right. I mean, how do you feel about this? I, I see. I don't cry at this Interesting. Movie. This movie is just like an auto trigger for me. Yeah, like, I find this movie just kind of like perfect. I don't. It is perfect. I, it doesn't. It doesn't rile me up that much emotionally, other than the very end. Um, like you mean the ending, ending? Yeah. Because after he blows up and saves the town, uh huh. One Dean builds a really nice statue for him. Good statue, and hey, good commission for Dean. True. Two Dean builds a really nice marriage. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With Annie. Mm hmm. They build a nice marriage uh-huh. together. Hogarth has friends now, which like I don't even okay. care about yeah, that. Right? I don't need him to have friends. He's awesome. He's friends with a giant. Who are these fucking dicks? Are they giants? Don't with? look like it. They're little. They probably eat their own boogers. Probably. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. <laughs> what if we tried to make booger eating popular in 2018? What if we just start passively referencing booger which is eating cool. as if we all like? <laughs> They eat their own burgers, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Other night I was hanging out eating some bugs. <laughs> what if we, instead they were called, them being called blankies, we, we everyone had to be called booger eaters? What if we opened an artisanal booger bar in Brooklyn? That's a good idea. That's just a business idea. That's just a good business. That's just good business. Good business. Good business. We got to get into the booger business. The booger biz. All right. Yeah, we actually, because we're going to want to talk about the reaction of this movie. So yes. let's, I mean, the um, the end of the movie is lovely. It's uh, the Hogarth's screw. There. He's got the screw. That's the one piece they have. Which is a cool, just so cool. And Mondo made that too, which is cool. Yeah, I've always wanted to get the screw. Cool. And it lights up that. and that's beeps. a good idea. Yeah, it's like a desk ornament. And the then, screw. yeah, one night he wakes up and the screw is like rattling Clinking around. on the window. It's tapping the window. And he realized what it is. And the music starts to swell and, he, and you see it rolling and rolling. And I love that it's like he's in fucking like Antarctica. Iceland. He's in Iceland. Iceland. He's on a glacier in Iceland. Right. And you slowly see him piecing together. When that happens. I get I get tingled. It's so good. And the last shot is like his big smile well, and head. one big tracking yeah. shot that goes through like the winds and the wilderness. It's great. Until it gets to his head lighting up and the eyes open up. And he's a very nice robot. And he's going to come back and have nice, fun adventures. And he's great. But he I, learned he wasn't a gun. And I like that he doesn't come back to Hogarth. Like, obviously, their intention no, it's, well, wasn't to make a sequel. And there's no sequel. Yeah. But, no. but but it's also like, he's just going to go on being good in different places now. Maybe. Or maybe he'll go back to Hogarth and, like, open a booger store. We don't know. <laughs> Imagine so, those boogers. So this movie. <laughs> the, the, huge. This guy's booger. It's probably a steel bookshelf. You know what I'm saying? Because it's so big. It's like, yeah. boy, the... Did they release a steelbook of this movie? They have. Oh, do you have it? Mondo made it. 
I don't have it. I think it was only in, it was only in the UK. Wow. Well, this movie was popular in the UK. Really? Um, I don't know if it was like. I mean, this movie wasn't popular anywhere. It was yeah. not a big hit. So they're making it. Warner Brothers is kind of ignoring it. They think it might get dumped. One of the they animators, wouldn't give them a release date, which is nuts. Like I can't right. even imagine because they were like, we don't want to be in the animation business. I don't know. I know, but it, it's so crazy to me. It's like the way the movie business works now, where yeah. it's like you know, three years out, you're like, yeah, we'll come out that. That's when we're coming out. Well, and, then, and especially in this era, it was all about your partnerships, your right. merchandising deals, your licensing deals, your cross promotional things. It was like you didn't seem like a legitimate kids movie if you weren't at Burger King or McDonald's. Right. If you weren't on cereal boxes. And it wasn't just the money you would get from those licensing agreements. It was also like it gave you a stamp of approval of like this is a real thing because yeah, it's this in is, every fucking right, store. Right. And those things take years to set up. Right. And so they didn't have any of that in place. No tie-in. Allison Abedi, who is the producer of this movie, he speaks very openly about what difficult time she had working with Brad Bird. Uh, which he includes in the documentary that he approved of, which I give him points for being like, I will let people say bad things about me. She said she went to the licensing fair and they were showing clips. Everyone's like, this is great. When's it coming out? And she was like, I I don't know. And then they just leave because they couldn't make a deal. Right. One of the animators leaks a VHS work print, unfinished, including storyboards and a lot of uncolored sequences to Drew McWeeney from Ain't It Cool, a time when they were real needle movers. And he having known of Brad Bird and his reputation, puts it on and writes, this is one of the great American animated films ever. This sure. is an American masterpiece. Right. And Warner Brothers goes, oh, they're kind of shamed about it. Brad Bird was angry that it had leaked out, but it finally got them to pay attention. So they do a test screening. They get A pluses. They get the best scores Warner Brothers gotten in 15 years. According to Brad Bird. Warner Brothers now gets really bullish on the movie and they go, right. oh, cool. We'll release this in five months. Right. With right. no lead time to be able to put together a proper campaign. Right. So they did have this limited run of toys that I guess they had put in place from when they didn't know when they were going to get released. But then their only other cross promotions, they have a deal at Johnny Rockets. Hey, love a Johnny Rocket. Bird tells the story about driving around opening weekend to Johnny Rockets and none of them had put the poster up. <laughs> and the giveaway was they didn't have toys. You got a cassette that had Looking, which is the song they play when Mansley is looking for the giant. <laughs> Great. It's just like an old like, R&B song. <laughs> that was the tie-in. You got a yes. cassette, like a single. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, they, they didn't have like proper advertising. They only had one poster, which was the teaser poster. They have on the Blu-ray the TV ad, which was, on August 9th, get ready for a whole new kind of heavy metal. <laughs> and it's literally playing like generic, license-free hard rock as it's shots of him like eating stuff. That's weird. The Iron Giant. That's very strange. Movie comes out in a crazy loaded box office weekend that we've already talked about. We'll see if I can remember it. Yeah. It can't, comes out the same weekend as The Sixth Sense. Right. And it August just sixth. bombs. Just flat lines. Yes. And uh, it comes out uh, to $5.7 million. According to this, this thing I'm reading right now, like the studio wanted an $8 million opening weekend. It couldn't even get that. I know. And uh, it grosses $23 million in the U.S., yeah. which is far less than its budget. Yes. It is a bomb. Mm-hmm. And, and look, under different circumstances, his career probably would have been over. At the very best, he would have been like, 
hey, uh, Brad, it's your agent. I got a great offer for you. They'll let you co-direct the Wild Thornberries movie. Like yeah, he could have I mean, just the, been a steady hand brought in. Yes, but shit. the film is critically acclaimed. Like, I mean, it is, it's, it's not just like uh, a movie that people discovered later. It got great reviews. Sure. As you say, it tested well. Yeah. And uh, people were, you know, won critics awards for animated feature. You know, it was like a well-regarded movie. But animation's but no a weird fulcrum point. Yep. Because all the other studios doing uh, 2D traditional animation. 2D animation are all shuddering. Yep. Disney has already pushed Bird out the door. Yep. And he probably would have been kind of boned if not for some old classmates of right. his who not had started an independent animation studio across town. But they need, he needs to accept that he needs to make a 3D movie, which I think he was uh, reticent to do. And we'll talk about that next episode. Yes. Um, uh, when he first went to them, he said, I got two scripts for you, Ray Gunn or The Incredibles. And they picked Incredibles. So it's always lingered as a possibility that he could make Ray Gunn at Pixar. Mm. Uh, I I want to see it so badly. Me too. I'd love him to. Yeah, I'd love him to. Make by all accounts, like one of the great unproduced screenplays. I mean, could Pixar make like a movie for adults? We'll talk about this. Is that, that's interesting. Is that like a thing that's going to happen? We will talk about this because another thing that very nearly happened. Brad Bird almost made a live action Pixar movie. Oh, uh, shit. What was it, the nineteen hundred? Nineteen oh six. Right. Yes. Interesting. Nineteen yeah. hundreds. The other movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it could happen. We'll talk about this in future episodes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the movie, like even at the time the reviews were like, why isn't this working? Why are sure. they dumping this? Um, and I feel like it built up a reputation super fast. Yeah. Like super, super fast and it's just grown and grown and grown and grown and grown. And of course it's part of year. that magical Hollywood year of 1999 where all these amazing movies came out. Toy Story 2. Yes. Were there other movies in 1999? No. Right. Can you tell me the box office? Okay. So for- August 6, 1999. Okay, I can tell you what all the new releases are. Five new releases. And I can tell you all five. Yeah. They were The Sixth Sense. Number one. Iron Giant. Sure. I'm not going in order here. No, you're not. Number nine. Mystery Men. Number six. Uh, Dick. Number 12. I, which is brutal. Such a good movie. And then the other one. Opens at number four. Opens at number four. It's a remake. It's a rem- Thomas Crown Affair. The Thomas Crown Affair. Which Great movie. Lingered. Thomas Crown Affair, directed by John McTernan. Joining the Century Club, did it not? Uh, no. Made 70. Oh, not bad. Did okay. okay. Good movie. So number one's The Sixth Sense. Unassuming. Is, is The Sixth Sense, yeah. Unassuming opening weekend becomes one of the 10 highest well, grossing films. Well, a good opening time. weekend. 26 million is pretty good. Yeah, it was, it was healthy, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's like, it's like that's, that's like what a booger eater is looking for. Yeah. Good. Right. Okay. Uh, Thomas book. Crown is four. Uh-huh. Number two is one of the hugest movies in 1999. Uh, Phantom Menace? Nope. Blair Witch Project? Correct. Phantom Menace is number 11. It's been a long time. Jeez. Can you imagine being dick and being like, we're behind the Phantom Menace? <laughs> which the Phantom Menace in its 12th week. Everyone's been dunking on it for three months and we're still coming in behind it. Uh, number three, we've talked about it. Uh, classic comedy duo. Mickey Blue Eyes? <laughs> <laughs> No. Is it in the 10? Uh, Mickey Blue Eyes, which is a terrible movie. I think not, it maybe comes out the following the weekend. 10. Yes. I mean, no. Grant and Khan, obviously a classic dude. And Triple Horn. <laughs> triple a trio. Horn. They were the next uh, Marx Brothers. They call them the Triple Horn. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Classic comedy duo, 1999 Bowfinger? No. Uh, Man and a Woman. Man and a Woman? Yep. Classic rom-com duo, I suppose you could call them. Oh, oh, right. It's uh, uh, Runaway Bride. Yes, Gear and Roberts. Yeah. And number five at the box office is uh, uh, an action 
film with something uh, that Donald Trump does not like. Uh, Deep Blue Sea. That's right. What doesn't he like? Sharks. Yeah. He also doesn't like introspection. Yes. His own mortality. <laughs> Living in thinking the real of, world. <laughs> thinking about what he's done. <laughs> <laughs> being nice to people <laughs> raising good children having a conscience <laughs> all right uh yeah you've also got inspector gadget which i am um, on the record is saying uh-huh. they should reboot starring griffin newman that is an on the record david sims prediction that they're going to reboot inspector gadget gadget starring griffin newman i mean yeah i'd crush that shit no question you'd crush the shit out of it would it be inspector I think gadget, Dwayne Johnson gadget could play claw no inspector gadget okay I appreciate it's, it. It's been a while. Like, we can reboot Inspector Gadget. And I just want to remind everyone. Too precious. I just want to remind everyone. Matthew Broderick hits someone in Ireland with the car. Murders. Murdered. Dead. Dead. Just want to remind people because we seem to forget. And I'll say this. I have never murdered anyone with a car because I don't even have a license. Well, it's, yeah. So don't get behind the wheel of a car. You might murder someone. Yeah. Why do you think I've avoided getting that license? I don't want to be a new Matty Bro. Broderick. Well, I don't want to get a good career. Yeah, and I'm Maybe. trying to avoid that. <laughs> Clearly. That's the whole point. So let me recording once again, episodes like this, that's how you avoid yeah, a career. Yeah. yeah. Trying to torpedo, baby. Yep. So let me just reiterate here are the Griffin Newman passion projects that we're trying to push into development at uh-huh. Blank Check Pictures Midnight Run remake. Sure. Naked Children. Griffin Gal. <laughs> what is that? Griff and Gal. Uh, Griffin Gal. In Midnight Run. Okay. Newman Godot. Midnight Run Origins. Midnight Run, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Midnight Run, Forbidden Kingdom. Right. What's the naked baby thing? What's that? (laughs) They are. It's an animated uh, Darger. Oh, right. Project. Yeah, right. Yeah. We got that. We got the Esther Zuckerman biopics. Yep, yep. Sorry, Sarah. So, uh, we got the buzzed. We got the buzz. Fuck, we do have the buzz. Yeah. Uh, I think the Inspector Gadget reboot is probably just called Gadget, right? Yeah, or Go Go Gadget. Drop the Inspector. It's cleaner. Yeah, yeah. You know what's cool? Inspector Gadget. Yeah. Uh, okay. Cool. Good slate. Get ready for those pictures coming out. I never. just want to say, guys, it's a great episode that we just did. I, I mean, I think honestly, maybe the best one. I think we did a great job. Leave your, uh, please remember to leave your comment on the episode. Well, don't step on my. I, well, I realized I was going to. So instead I said that weird clunky thing that I just said. Okay. Well, I. <laughs> We'd like to ask our listeners to please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Mm-hmm. Hey, maybe this time around we should start reading them again. Remember how we read the reviews oh. to get people to actually do them? You know what we should do right here because we've been forgetting to do it for months? Burger? We should do. We should take a, a call from the Burger Report hotline. Oh, yeah. So Good let's call. place that in. Thank you for calling the Burger Report hotline. 802-8-BURGER. Please leave a message with your FAMO type of burger and location, and we will try to put it on the podcast if we can. That's 802-8-BURGER. Hi, my name is Erin, a long-time listener, first-time caller. I'm sure you haven't gotten that joke before. I would like to phone in a burger report from Los Angeles, California, City of Angels. I was at Shake Shack in West Hollywood with the David to my Griffin, and hot off the heels of the Dawson's Creek EW Reunion Edition. Um, I saw Kersmith. Um, I'm not sure exactly what he ordered, but I did hear them calling his name Kerr. And he did have, I'm not sure if it was a burger or a fried chicken sandwich, uh, but, uh, but it was something in that form. Um, he was with somebody else. 
looked like they were having a nice time. He looked very handsome and gray. And that was my burger report. Pretty random, but wanted to phone it in. Thanks, guys. Cool. Oh, thank you so much for that call. What a good scoop. You want me to find a review, Ben? Uh, I, I kind of I know what you mean. Like it was fun when we did that. I just think it's good. Yeah, get like people to leave reviews again. I mean, we'll so read, like here's you know. a here's a great review. Great from um. I want to get this right. One eight four nine four nine two nine one dollar sign four question mark semicolons nine dash o three subject. So, okay. Review. Who are your guys? <laughs> That's a good example. Yes. Did you see that a blankie tweeted at, I believe his name is Brandon McDonald, producer of WTF, asking. Yeah, uh, when the Damon Wayans story was first mentioned. And he said, I can't remember, pretty sure it came up a number of times though. Because you have always accused me of focusing, latching onto this one moment that was isolated. And I have always protested, no, he in fact told this story many times. Right. So at least I've been confirmed in that. Oh, here's a good review. Um, Bad. One star. Okay. So this is from a Sith Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dandelion Mayday. So Darth Dandelion Mayday. Cool. You're not allowed to listen to the podcast anymore? Right. They think they are funny and smart, dot, dot, dot. Sigh, dot, dot, dot. Well, why bring the singer Gangnam Style into this <laughs> review? Okay, you did it. Thank you. You found I the worst it. thing. I saved it. I saved the episode. Rate, review, subscribe. Thanks to Andrew Agudo for our social media. <laughs> Lane Montgomery for our theme song. Thanks to Pat Reynolds and Joe Bowen for our artwork. <laughs> and Burgers. Uh, go to uh, blankiesireda.com for some real nerdy shit that is increasingly bordering on creepy. <laughs> Manic. <laughs> I logged this movie on Letterboxd. Within a minute, they had it. Yeah. Someone's getting, like, alerts. So I've been logging a lot of other shit to throw them off the scent. (laughs) I'm I'm not going to log any of the bird movies. We can't shit on those people. I'm cutting this out. Hey, they're great friends! I think they'll enjoy just being talked about, Ben. I think so, too. And thank you to uh, Brooklyn and Casper and Hims for sponsoring the show. And, and as always, hey, treat yourself nice. Get yourself a bug. <laughs> Eat a bug. It's uh, the worst. So everyone makes a joke about the fact that Goofy's a dog and then Pluto's a dog, right? Right, yeah. They're both dogs, but one is a dog and one of them's like a person. So is Pluto just like a mentally challenged dog that they torture by carrying around on a leash? They torture him? They're like, get on the fucking ground. <laughs> but We're putting a leash on your neck. But... That doesn't make sense. Right. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying it doesn't make sense. I'm not saying your thing. Yes, make thank sense. you. But does Pluto usually have a leash? He's just sort of running around, isn't he? He's got a collar. He doesn't have a collar. Sometimes he's got a leash. He's always on the floor. They make him sleep in a house, a little doghouse out back. But do he? Goofy has to sleep in a fucking bed. Do he and Goofy interact? Yeah, all the time. And Goofy goes, "No, your fucking place." <laughs> all right.